Hello and welcome to Indie Apocalypse Radio, the internet's prestige internet podcast. I forget what I called this. It's the, you know what it is. It's a radio show that has no particular bullshit to it or something. I don't know. I, I'm bad at coming up with my brand. But anyway, we've got a full show. We've got a stacked show, apparently. So I've been told. Stacked as in lots of good people. Um, I've thought, and I thought about that idea of just, I don't know, like filling the show with people that people know and like going there, chasing that beautiful radio show dream of just like, ah, here's our names every week and let's bring them here. But I don't care about that. The goal here is to like always bring new names and new voices. It's a complicated thing. It's a balancing act. Speaking of voices, John Charles is here. Hello, John Charles. Hello, Andrew. It's wonderful to be here oh, tonight. I, I look forward to anybody who's getting to meet me for the first time, and I hope I do not disappoint. I am meeting you for the first time, and I'm not disappointed yet, but I, you are on watch. Uh, <laughs> so you may know John Charles. Oh, I, I almost had that. I always forget, always forget to do that. I'm getting trying to get better <laughs> at that, my radio. You may know such and such. Anyway, from Ish... Oh, I got to go open the question thing. I am... All beside myself this week. It's all good. It's a group. You got to you got to find the group. You got to get into the apocalypse issue thirteen. By the way, <laughs> the cover art you did, but you've done other things. I think if I'm mm-hmm. correct, you may also know him from. Fuck, why did you put it on? Some like you work at Nintendo Force Pushid or what is Scary Dark Pod? Uh, yeah, uh, at least what I have uh, on the header of my Twitter profile, I uh, I work for Pusheen. Uh, yes, that Pusheen, the online internet cat. Uh, yeah. I'm web content manager there, which means I manage the web content, but I also do a lot of writing there. I, I, I help write things like some of the quizzes and, and uh, copy across the different sites and stuff we have. So that's my day job. But um I also recently have started a tenure with uh, Nintendo Force Magazine. It's a bi-monthly magazine. Uh, it's it's kind of like the fan the fan uh, spiritual successor to Nintendo Power Magazine. You know, it it came out a little bit after Nintendo Power shut down, and a lot of game magazines were starting to kind of shut down one by one and disappearing off of shelves. And these guys said, "We love these kind of magazines. We don't want to see them die." We're going to do this for fun. We're going to open up Patreon. Just subscribe if you want it, and let's see what we can do. And I do a comic for that. So if you subscribe to that, either digitally or physically, you can see my comics in there uh, every two months. We just have a new issue that's setting out right now. It's all about Suda51. We have a big interview with him, and I did a No More Heroes comic for that. I'm very proud of it, so go check that out. It's really good. And um, that third thing, uh, Scary Dark Podcast. Oh, that's the Twitter handle. Um, I do a podcast with my friend uh, Barb. Uh, it's called Scary Podcast to Tell in the Dark. Uh, it's our kind of casual exploration of the horror genre. So it's us uh, sitting down and talking about, like, well, so far it's been pretty much entirely horror movies, but we hope to dive into some horror games and maybe comics at some point. So that's a that's a fun little conversation if you're looking for something a little, a little yeah. different in your podcast feed. I likewise have a horror movie podcast with a friend, but it's I like it being a separate thing from this indie apocalypse thing because it's like I don't know. I like having separate spaces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have to be selling everything, and I can talk with a friend and not have to like sell it. 
No, I, I feel you on that. And I, I didn't know you ran a horror podcast. We'll have to have a little bit of a, a crossover at some point. I'll have to have you on to, oh, to talk about something. Bring your yeah, favorite I, movie. What is your favorite horror? No, John Charles, what is your favorite horror movie? Um, Do you have one? I It's kind of a tie. I think, I think ultimately, I think it is John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, okay. I love The Thing. I love the way that movie feels. You can feel how cold that movie is. I love the effects. I love the writing. I adore the soundtrack by Ennio Morcone on that. And John Carpenter's music in it, too. As far as I'm concerned, it is the perfect horror movie. It's it's the horror movie I would even show to people who say, I don't like horror movies. And I'm like, you would probably like this. Give it a shot. But at least for me personally, I think I think my uh, comfort food always would go back to is probably Evil Dead 2. Okay. I'm a huge Evil Dead fan, and I love to. I, yeah, we... It originally started because my friend was writing a PDF on Golden, or like a you know a short ebook as one does on Golden Age horror. Mm-hmm. So we were, it was all about it was started in that era. So we actually don't go beyond 1979, I believe, as like a hard, as like a line in the sand kind of thing. Although we break the rules occasionally for like Patreon, so y'all end up watching a lot of just like foreign horror and a lot of weird horror. And would you say, you know, this is a question I think of occasionally about horror, would you say that occasionally thriller is used to kind of like be a shorthand for good horror, much like the term graphic novel? <laughs> um, kind of. I, we, 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 I think we have an episode where we talk at length about how we define the term horror. And yeah. I think I bring up the fact that there's a lot of movies I would call a thriller and not a horror explicitly, even though I still think they fit in it. Um, I think the films of uh, Alfred Hitchcock fit into this perfectly. I think if you ask most people, are these horror movies? They'd say probably not. But if you sit down and watch those movies, they have right. so many of the elements of horror. It's They're just not movies about being gory or explicit. And I mean, if anything, Hitchcock was famous for tiptoeing the line of what was explicit content with some like tongue in cheek humor. But those movies are those movies still have like their startling moments and their shocking moments and their horrifying moments that just aren't graphic. And I think calling those thriller kind of communicates what you can kind of what general audience is what general audiences can expect from a movie like that. Like yeah. they're not gonna see it, they're not going to see a slashing, but the slashing will be implied and it's still gonna be scary. Right. Yeah. So that's like is it it's hard when we meet you're scared, is there have to be gore involved and it becomes a very complicated and kind of like arbitrary principle to define you know yeah the John, of genre. Kind of weird like that. um speaking of the muckiness of genre let's sidestep that entirely with a question from our previous episode's guest let's let's do it i'm all and, ears let's go okay now i have to ask um what is the best live show you've ever seen Ooh, okay give me a second to think about this because i've seen i've seen i've seen some things live oh boy I, okay that, that sounds worse than i mean it too but i mean i've seen some pretty cool live shows i think i think the one that's been in my mind the most recently is um i'm i'm big on collecting uh vinyls and i just got in my vinyl for um Automataguchi's don metropolis and okay. that took me back back to the past when i was just starting college and I was going back home to visit some friends. We were getting together, like we would get together in high school every few weeks to play um, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. You know, the the, yeah. the, game, the Game Boy GameCube game where you, everybody had to have like four Game Boys, and it was a whole thing. You had that and, little um, cable, and we carry a pot around everywhere. 
Exactly. Like, I think we like stocked up on all the stuff when GameStop was starting to clearance it out. And that's when we started doing that. And, um, you know, I was going back home for that one year. And this is even before I had a driver's license. And I was like, hey, there's an Anamata Gucci concert tonight that I may have already bought tickets for. And there are still <laughs> tickets. Would you be willing to drive me to the city and we can all go see this concert? And yeah. luckily, my friends were actually cool with that. So we, we drove to the city. And, you know, this was um, this was back in 2000. If it wasn't 2011, I think it was 2010. So this was before I think Anamanaguchi had really blown up, but it was right. at least after Scott Pilgrim, where I think they were starting to become a household name. So they were still kind of like indie enough where like, if you knew about them, you knew about them, but they had like outgrown 8-bit peoples by this point. Yes. And um, it was a really awesome show. It had really weird um, opening acts. Like there was like one band that was playing chiptune from a Casio keyboard and it just, no one was into it. and. The, the opening acts went on so long, but when Anamata Gucci came out, it was like this show was in like a was in like a serious dive bar place out yeah. in the <laughs> Richmond. Uh, strange matter if anybody out there is in Virginia. Um, this place was awesome. It was a dive bar. It had arcade cabinets in the back. It was like the perfect Anamata Gucci venue, and they were playing it, and they were playing their music. They were playing mostly songs from Don Metropolis, and um, the, like everybody was dancing. The whole place was bumping, and they were getting close to the end of their set list. And they were supposed to play the last song from Don Metropolis, which is a song called Mermaid, which is okay. about a seven, nine minute long song. It's one of their longest songs, honestly. Yeah. And um, they were like, unfortunately, um, the opening acts went so long. We don't have time to play Mermaid. So we're going to take a request from the audience. And I was like literally right up at the front of the stage. And I just shout, another winner. What? Another <laughs> winner. What? And they hold the mic up to me. I'm like, another winner, which is the song for the opening stage of uh, the Scott Pilgrim game, which is okay. actually maybe my favorite song of theirs. And they're like, all right, let's do it. And then they started playing it. And the whole bar just erupts into this massive, like, I even know if I call it like a mosh pit. Everybody's just like throwing themselves at each other. And I'm like, like my ribs are getting like crushed up against the stage. And I'm just like, it's just like I'm in the game. And it was, a, <laughs> oh, it was such a good concert. That was one of the best live shows I think I've ever been to in my life. It's always like impossible for me to get a sense of like scale of how popular someone is in going to live shows. Because mm -hmm. the place I usually go to is the Columbus in Providence which has an upstairs and a downstairs. And I can never, I have no sense of scale, like who is an upstairs act and who is a downstairs act. The upstairs being a lot smaller. And like, even back then, you, you're like, I don't know, in a dive bar? It sounds like they would play a bigger venue. I mean, they, like I said, it was small enough that my friends were literally able to buy three tickets maybe two hours before yeah. the show began. Like, if that was today, you'd have to make sure you got those tickets on opening day because they'd be gone in an instant. Right. No, I remember I saw Julian Baker in like Berkeley, like in a cafe. Mm -hmm. And like also it was in the middle of a horrible blizzard, like the worst blizzard, the, the last really bad blizzard we had. <laughs> and everyone was like, it was a mess. I like I encountered two girls on our way there and they were looking for and we all got lost and we were like slipping through the snow. And like our hair was frozen with ice by the time we got there. And the God, guy gave us bad directions. There's just something about the visceral details of going to concerts when you're young, you know, like oh, when you're an that. adult, it's just like, it's just like, oh man, I, you know, I got it at work. I'm setting aside two hours to go to this concert. Uh, let's go <laughs> get dinner. We'll go. We're done at the concert. Let's get home and uh, we'll be in bed by 11. But 
you know, like like a kid, it's like you're stumbling through the city and it's like, oh, we just got some like shitty pizza from some place that was around the block. I, right. I don't know. We need something to eat. Something we can get for like seven bucks each. Like what's I just miss. I miss that kind of just that yeah. that raw, dirty texture of just getting to go to shows as a as a as a kid or a young adult. Like that's always that was such a good, visceral feeling that yeah. just makes for the <laughs> best memories. Right before that, I was on something that I, I I'm still unclear whether it's intended to be a date or not. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, no, I'm sure I'll hang out on this day, but I have I also have this concert to go to after this, and never saw that person much ever. Um, uh, do, you, do you think do you feel like you remember the the date, the quote unquote date more? No, or like not at all. Not at all. It was it was someone who was like, whatever. They messaged me too much online. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. The point is, it was a w- weird and wild night. Also, I was not very young. Do you remember the last live show you went to? Uh, yes, the last live show I would have gone to in the before times. Um, way back in February, I went to the second North American uh, Near concert, um, okay. where it was the live show where they were playing music from Near and Near Automata. And uh, Yoko Taro was there also, too. I actually had a friend playing from Georgia, and we all hopped in a car and went to the venue, which was like really close to my apartment. And uh, that was a really awesome show. It was really wild getting to see Yoko Taro's uh, big uh, Emil head in okay, real life. Okay, I was going to say, does he wear the Emil head everywhere? In all of oh, absolutely. absolutely. I, I, I consider that like, lifestyle. It's he, He's committed to that bit. I mean, I think there was a while where he used to, you could, because he's been, he's been at Square for maybe like, right. A decade and a half at this point, and he's been director on a lot of games besides uh, Near and Drakengard and stuff. And I think there was like there's like E3s on record where he's been at like Square presentations without his head, and you can find that footage. But then once um, Near was a thing, he just always wore it, and that became his whole thing. But you can still find the footage of him out there without it if you want. But you know, it's it's kind of like seeing Santa without a beard. I don't I don't think you want to see it. It'll it'll ruin the magic. And also, I don't want to spoil anyone. Having not seen the photo, I can guarantee you he is just a guy. Yeah, he's he's, he's got he's got big just uh just a guy energy. Like the same sort of energy that um Junji Ito has, where you're like, oh man, this guy must be twisted. He's probably like probably like Tim Burton turned up to eleven, and you see him, and he's just. A, a dad. <laughs> he just, a dad. Yes. I I was at the TCAF where Junjito, that time they flew him over. Me too. Were you, were you at either of the um, the live thingies that he did? No, I had to work the whole time. Oh, I, I managed to catch the his uh, Q&A and the live drawing. It was just really cool to just like watch him work. Yeah, my, my TCAF experience when I've demoed at TCAF is that um yes judy judy does like yes distinctly judy is a guy but has a very distinct like once you see his face you're like oh it's easy to remember oh yeah he's 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 got he's 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 got very distinct features he he looks once you see him and you hear him he looks like what you know him to be or especially if you've read stuff where he draws himself like yan and moo i believe Right? Yeah, Yan and Moo. Uh, yeah, like that's the one about him and his cats and his wife. Yeah. Where, yes. I My TCAF experience is usually just I work th- two days and then a third day I run around as fast as I can and look at everything and then do, co- come back. Do you usually table with like a, with your friends or are you usually like a solo table? <laughs> I solo table. Oh, man, that's hardcore. Yeah. I, well, I, who's, 
spoilers for everyone. Indie Apocalypse is just me. There's no, <laughs> there's no, there is no Indie Apocalypse LLC. Right. There's no corporate structure. There's no team leads. I am the everything of it. So, and that was even before Indie Apocalypse, and in, in which I was also the sole developer on games who did all of the work. And I'm, I don't have friends who would be like, "Let's go to Toronto for me with me for fun." It's expensive. It's close yeah, enough I am to it. Yeah, about to say, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I can uh, drive there, and it's about like a five-hour drive from where I am. So that's that oh. that helps a lot. That makes it an easy choice for my one or one of my few cons a year at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, it's really I think similarly hour drive for me. Because mm-hmm. it's right oh yeah, that that puts, you, that puts you really close then. It's right on the border, so it's like an hour flight, if that. But I like to fly because I'm lazy. And I it's mean, like it's, it's, it's nice to just get in the metal tube and fall asleep and then wake up and you're in another country. You don't got to worry about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did. I did. I had a wild night where one last year I did Indiecade, like mm-hmm. not as a developer, as a weird. OK, so we did like a weird thing. We ran the merch booth and also did like the I ran our own merch booth. We had a weird uh, like arrangement with with indicade but the end of it was afterwards i was also at going to a punk flea market in cambridge which meant that i needed to fly out of la on the red eye and i for some reason that somebody also thought it'd be a good idea to, to fly like a school class at like on a midnight flight oh god how much sleep did you get a lot of it they actually like were they were like tire themselves out or something beforehand in the like on the terminal because when we got there everyone was just done and everyone fell asleep and it was beautiful oh you lucky devil you I, i'd be so worried about those kids about being like the old man on a plane just like this kid is kicking my seat just oh, no, just grumpy so... and tired <laughs> they, were, they were wonderful and quiet and it was the best thing i could have ever hoped for but Enough of all these flights aside, John Charles, tell me something about video games. Do you like video games? Oh, I love, oh, video games? I think I like video, I love oh, a good video yeah, game. Yeah, right, you're a nerd who only sees video <laughs> John Charles, JC, if I can. Uh, you, you may. Because it's fucking, such a mouthful. <laughs> I'm lazy sometimes. Um, what was the last non-video game concert event you went to? Uh, last non-video game concert. Let me think about this. I mm, I was supposed to go to a Kiriko Benito show, and that didn't happen. Um, I'm going to count that as a half half, half non-video game. Um, I know. I Actually, I did go to a concert for a band that was friends with one of my... Like a mutual friend concert okay. band thing. I can't remember the name of the band, which makes me feel real bad. Jeez, but what a mutual a good, friend you uh, are. It was, it was the kind of show where it was good enough that it was like... I enjoyed myself enough here that I'm willing to buy a t-shirt to support this band. So yeah. I, I, I have that t-shirt. I bought it. I remember I was going to buy it and I looked at the t-shirt and I usually get smalls and I was going to, I was looking at a shirt. And I was like, this looks kind of small. I'm going to get a medium. And they're like, no, 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 no. You, you're going to want to size down. These shirts run small. And I was like, all right. And then I tried putting on the shirt and I was like, ah, this shirt's too small. I should have got the medium. So that's probably why I can't remember the name of the band because I haven't worn the shirt as much as I'd like because it's it's too gosh dang small. But uh, that was that was maybe like two years ago. Uh, I feel like I don't go to as many concerts as I as I used to outside of like 
outside of like ending up at a thing like a uh, Magfest or SmashCon, right. there might just be a, a band playing there or a DJ or something. Uh, yeah, I really should go to more stuff though. I'm out here in Chicago, and there's always there's always a show or a club or a venue, something popping off. So that's something I definitely want to get back into once it's uh, safe enough to do so, and the ball starts rolling on that again. Yeah, when I discovered that theater, I was like, wow, this is. It's- it's a sit-down theater. It's like an old, it's like an old historic theater that they used to do plays and stuff in. It's a nice mm-hmm. venue, and it's like worked for me. I don't want to stand up and hang around all night. But also, a lot of the music I see is not let's get all rowdy music. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could still do those kind of shows anymore because I, I just think back to like that Adam and Gucci show was so cool, but it still was a lot of. Um, standing around for two and a half hours listening to opening acts and i don't think it was like old enough to drink yet so i couldn't even just stand around and enjoy a beer it really was <laughs> just like i just gotta wait for two and a half hours for this band i came here to see to play and i'll get home at 2 a.m instead perfect oh man that's like i said that was that was a time that was a very visceral time to to be going to shows well, when things open back up, I do not know your personal music taste, but I would encourage you and really anyone to, if you get a chance, if they do shows, go see a Godspeed You Black Emperor show. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. It's like this audiovisual thing. They're also like not like 30-minute post-rock songs or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm into that kind of thing. Let's go. Yeah. It sounds good. If you what's what's the other what's the other famous post-rock band that I forget the name of? It also does those super long songs. I forget. I'll find it eventually. It's similarly named, I think, but I forget the name of it. Someone. Okay. I, I, I was hoping I would keep talking. And I would find it eventually, and I didn't. So video games. Yeah. We, we got sidetracked for a moment. Video games. What is? What video games are you playing right now? Uh, right now? Let's yeah, see. Um, well, I did just finish uh, Ghost of Tsushima. I really enjoyed my time with that. That was a good um, That was a good open world game. Uh, I was playing a lot of Skullgirls this morning because they just put out um, a new character in for the beta for that. And um, just for anyone listening who's half updated on the story of that without yes. going into too many depressing details, uh, no... The guy who you hope isn't working on that game isn't currently working on that. And yes, the people you hope are working on that game are working on it again. So I don't feel bad about giving them money for the new season pass. Because it's like, I love this game. You guys do great work. You've made a lot of really awesome choices regarding your employees after all the stuff this summer. I will pay money to support this. And the new character is a lot of fun. She's she's great. My impression in my my loose awareness of it was that basically they excised it's basically the same group, but they excised the, the person, the bad person. Pretty, pretty much like the company by name doesn't exist. And it's pretty much across, like I'd say two or three companies, but those two and three, two or three companies are all just working on the new Skullgirls content together at this point. Right. All the, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to video games. And I guess all power structures where, the people at the top always end up being super shitty as it turns out. How does that happen? I, 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 I mean, it just, it can happen just in any sort of like group structure where if yeah. somebody at the top is powerful enough and the culture is there in any capacity to make people afraid to speak up, people won't speak up. Like right. that's, that's how that happens. Like it's, it's hard to make a space where people do feel comfortable speaking out or up right. because 
a lot of times you're putting your literal livelihood on the line or perhaps making a comfortable workplace a very uncomfortable place to work. So it's 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 scary. And it sounds like that's a lot of what was going on yeah. there. I can't speak for anybody because, you know, I'm not there. I don't have any close friends who can vouch for that experience there. But I, I still I I've, I've been in previous jobs before where I've seen that sort of thing happen where, OK, there's good reason not to speak up. And this sucks that everybody just has to kind of sit with it when they'd rather do something about it, you know? Yeah, it's a very it's listen. Let's talk about the heavy topics here in Apocalypse Radio, which is that power always benefits people at the top, and cancel culture doesn't work because I've never seen anyone get canceled and go away. If anything, they come back stronger and with more money. So yeah, I I, I wouldn't people, I wouldn't be surprised to maybe see like see turn up somewhere else doing something yeah. else and. Right. He'll have his supporters and he'll have his people who. Maybe, maybe he'll be running the next Harry Potter game or something. He's going to take over his career director. Yeah, that, I I feel I feel bad for those guys. Like, I I already feel a lot of empathy for a lot of trouble development because like so many games that I love end up being games where something happens that the game is just destined to fail. And right. I I don't have any personal interest in this Harry Potter game. I'm I'm good stepping away from Harry Potter. The game on paper honestly just sounds like Destiny with Wizards. I think people who are hanging on to that game are going to be kind of surprised when they get it, and it's going to just be a games-as-service game about being a wizard. Right. That really is what it looks like it's going to be. I but, do I, I do love to have my analog stick become a mouse cursor in menu screens. Oh, there's going to be so many mouse cursors in that game. Are you kidding me? Like It looks like exactly <sighs> like the kind of game is going to have those. But I, I'm, I'm continuously surprised by seeing a game and it just like has Destiny menus, and it's so bizarre. I mean, I guess it's kind of, I guess it may be easier to kind of just keep the mouse controls and mouse and map them to an analog stick yeah. than maybe to program in the menu, which I, I can respect, but it's, it's a, it's a weird artifact of modern gaming. Right. I, I, like I said, though, I do just kind of feel bad for those devs because, you know, there's a lot of people on that team that they care a lot about that game. They're doing their hardest work. This is what they've been working. Like we saw this game for the first time this past year. They've been working on that game for like three to five years now. Like that game didn't just prop, pop up yesterday. No, yeah. And all the stuff with like J.K. Rowling and like the director guy who left and just Harry Potter as a brand and like WB as a company, just anything people could have to feel just turned off from that game. I just feel so bad for the people who are just coming in, working nine to five, right. hopefully, and um, putting in <laughs> good work that they're really proud of. And they're, this all this stuff is happening out of their control that's just setting their game up to just be way yeah. more scrutinized than it probably would have been right. had nothing go wrong. And it's I, like, I feel I'm, for that. Yeah, it's like, I'm a 3D artist. I make boxes and statues and gargoyles for a living. For yeah, like it's, an it's overworked like French living. Really jazzed about 3D modeling gargoyles. Like this was, they were like, you know, they got the job, they called their mom, right. it's like, mom, I'm making gargoyles for a game, but right. not just any game. Like I finally got a job at a major company. It's stable. It's, oh, wait. Yeah, who knows? Like sometimes when you get hired, like what the game is going to be. You are unnamed magical MMO project, you know? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's probably what it said on the uh, on the application. You know, it's like, oh, we're working with a major franchise or a major license, and right. I mean, I didn't find out about that till a little bit later on in the in the whole process. And at some point, you're like, well, I I gotta eat, I guess, and pay money. Still, as as the Wu Tang Clan once said, money. Things are actually ruled by money, you know? 
Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing about our society. That cash continues to rule everything around us. And there's nothing to be done about it for now, except, I don't know, hope that... No, it's get rich and then actually give out the money. It's complicated. Tax people to death. That's what you. That's what you really need to do. It's just tax people into oblivion <laughs> until there's no such thing as a billionaire, and maybe we can have a, one millionaire as a treat. But <laughs> as a treat, if we're good, <laughs> you get to be this year's millionaire. But let's let's be real, people. No one, nobody needs a nobody needs a million dollars. It's but that's let's we we've we've gotten so far <laughs> off the rails at this point. And listen, I'm not. A polit- Listen, I could pivot this into be a political podcast that beautifully caters to someone's political beliefs and get tons of money on Patreon as I slowly <laughs> coo and massage you and tell you what you want to hear. But I don't want to do that. I don't have patience for it. I can't maintain that. My, my beliefs are simple. People need to give money out to other people, and it's all shitty. Be good. Be good to one another. Be excellent to each other. Right. Yeah. Everyone should have rights, and people should have money. It's not anyway. That's my that's my harsh political screed, is that all those things you imagine. I'm welcome. I hate to disappoint everyone, (laughs) that the leader of the independent game zine is a is a. An SJW and a lefty. Oh, oh my heaven forbid! I know the guy who's like <laughs> when he looks through his indie looks for games and sees someone like has like Patreon and is like, "Oh, you're making hundred dollars a month. You're too big for indie apocalypse." I'll try to find someone else. <laughs> Always looking for this anyway, but so. um no one here is part of the thing. Usually I like to ask people like, what, why did you, I've got no one to ask this week about why you like how you found Indiepocalypse. Cause it's, nobody found Indiepocalypse. You emailed everyone about that. And I don't need to ask you why you answered my email because you're an artist. I offered to pay you money and you said, of course I wouldn't <laughs> accept that money. Yeah, but in that same email, I actually did point out that, uh, I was actually familiar with Indiepocalypse cause I, I watched the live stream where, uh, I think Casey Green drew some art for it. Oh yes. And I, was right. like, I was like, Oh wait, I actually recognize this. I've seen this. Right. Yes. Okay. I, you would be surprised. I see. I, I enter a lot of emails and I, yeah, I enter a lot of emails and I sometimes forget those details from four months ago, but yes, that's true. I have to email him eventually to be on this show, but I keep forgetting. Oh, he, 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 I'm sure he'd be a fun guest. He's he's always been a lot of fun, and any any time I've heard him on a podcast as a guest or anything. Yeah, I always have. I always forget to like email. There's so many people. There's so many people, and I have to try to get. I've, I'm a month ahead. Finally, this last <laughs> this last month has been just like emailing a ton of people as aggressively as possible and saying be on the show so I can get ahead. And give people more than 24 hours to respond. Speaking of more than 24 hours to respond, um, how often do you give someone to respond to an email that you think is really important before moving on to the next person? Uh, if it's like if it's like really important, I think I guess it just really depends on um. Like you're looking for someone to fill a role. Like you're looking to work with someone. Uh, it depends on when I need the work done and how much time I think it'll take. Uh, 
I mean, like, I, I, I am patient with the fact that, like, look, people have lives, they have jobs, they don't expect anybody to be in front of their email or the computer 24-7. That's fair, but, like, I feel like there's a statue of, like, maybe, like, if it's been, like, two weeks with radio silence, maybe, like, I, I probably have nudged at least once again in that Ooh. week to just kind of be like, hope you didn't see it, hope you saw this or whatever, but, like, ah. after two weeks, it's just kind of like, eh, I'm not going to get back. That's, that's fine, I'll just move on. Love to demiss the nudge. <laughs> Speaking of nudging, I'm going to nudge our way over to our break. John Charles, great talking to you. I'll see you again in about two hours. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm going to hang out and draw while listening in on the fun conversations. Perfect. But in the meantime, we're going to go to break. Goodbye, everyone. Hello, and welcome back to Indie Apocalypse Radio. That was Melted Ice Cream. If you're looking it up, look for the Mexican surf rock pop band and not the record label out of Australia. I'm trying, I got very into like summertime vibes. Like I think I forget the name of this is Korean band. That was, I just listened to that was like very, very best coast. And I got into that sort of like surf dream pop music. But anyway, enough of that aside, we are here with our next guest, Mel Santani, who you may know from, I got to remember this name. I've never said Analgesic Productions. You may know from Anodyne 1. Anodyne 2, Even the Ocean, and All Our Asias. Did I get them all? Yeah. Yes. Four out of four. And they're pronounced right, too. Good job. No, no. It, I, I, mean, uh, I had to... Uh, oh, sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's some, we get some like funny pronunciations now and then. Or even like spellings on reviews. Yeah. No, it's I. I may or may not have gone to Twitter real quickly because it's one of those words like this is a series of letters. I don't need to actually know what it says because my brain recognizes it. But I'm like, well, what is this word actually? And what is it that I have to say? If I have to say it out loud, how would it sound? But anyway, welcome to the show. How are you doing? You just got up a few hours ago. Oh, perfect. No, I, yeah. I, I presume it is morning where you are. Yeah, yeah. For any listeners, I live in uh, Japan, so it is 9.40 a.m. Oh, that's, yeah. I have one of our previous guests, Miriam Song, was in from the Philippines. So she came in at like 7 o'clock, and she's like, I'm used to Eastern Standard Time because that's when everyone works on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, well, Marina, who's also here and muted, uh, we sync up across time zones, so... I have yeah, a good sense of most friends are kind of on the in the US. Yes, and you that works. It's like once you start to get into Europe, that's where it gets tricky. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's been a few uh things we've had to schedule across like the three time zones. I have to very specifically do like differently scheduled shows when I have I have like Europe shows because Europe does not seven o'clock is like one in the one in the morning for them is my seven o'clock. Yeah. It does not work. Anyway, I have to start this off. We have a question here from. Oh, wait, it's in Discord. I keep thinking I have it in a different tab because from a previous guest. And it says, they ask, who's your favorite stuffed animal? Mm. I think. Which ones do I have? Either the Dragon Quest slime or uh, Starlax. Okay. From, geez, if I had a picture of this, it's not like a big Snorlax. I have this like tiny one on my desk. Okay, not mm-hmm. like a beanbag 
Snorlax. No, no, no. I'm, no, I can't. Yeah, fit that. But I like the the small guy because you can like you can pick him up and throw him. Okay. <laughs> not not like in anger, just you no, know. Right. You, you can like toss him during like a meeting or like squeeze. Right. Squeeze or, or when you're thinking, you just need something to do with your hands. Yeah, yeah basically. Or just look at it. Look at it at the end of my desk. We also have a few dittos, but those sure. sometimes look kind of funny. <laughs> So ones that are very, like, that lend themselves to being permeable shapes and being squished. Yeah, and then they kind of look kind of weird. Like, my sister used to have a have a pig. It's like a this Taiwanese mascot pig or something. Um, but then the legs got pushed in, so it's kind of like it had these leg holes. That was... That was... Uh, Disturbing. <laughs> like, like, like the beans had kind of deteriorated in the inside. Yeah, the beans like fell out of the legs, so they just became these like little like flappy stubs. Oh, okay. Because I feel like I've, I feel like I have memories of my childhood of stuffed animals and kinds of things like somehow getting more space inside them, but I don't remember beans coming out. Oh yeah, yeah, like uh, this. <laughs> they just deform. Right, like oh, I imagine they had fallen apart over time. So I guess while you're in Japan, here's a question I that I am often curious about. It's like, what is, I how aware are you or like tuned into you are to like the Japanese indie scene? It's a bit more before Corona. I mean, kind of. Right. So the indie scene is a little bit complicated i guess it's yeah. kind of it's pretty it is pretty regional sort of like the u.s it's been growing a lot more in the past decade but like you know there's like kyoto and osaka and tokyo um but uh since there used to be there's usually a monthly like tokyo indies meetup that a friend of mine alvin organizes and it you know it hasn't been held in a year because of yeah. you know, corona and that was kind of where a lot of people would meet, and you you know you would might go out for like food afterwards. Uh, so yeah, that isn't really there. I'm assuming that there must probably be like discords or group chats. I mean, I'm in a few. Right. I'm in like a board games group and kind of like a games indie art group, and then there's a organization called Asobu that like has a co-working space that is kind of like empty now. So okay, there was a lot going on. Now it's a little bit scattered to the internet, but you know right. people still have their friendships and. Like Whatnot. like everyone else at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. But there are people doing stuff. Okay, because it's it's something I've like dipped my toe in a little bit. Like I I found one for like issue six. I'm like, because there's also there's also like the obvious language barrier of let's meet halfway with like the do, do I feel like they understand English enough to email them in English and am I. Japanese is not good enough to email them in Japanese. Right. Yeah, like, I think one of the issues is the... I think it's changing for some developers, but, you know, a lot of work gets released in, like, doujin circles. Yeah. And, at, like, only at convention. Like, um, the Higurashi dude, Rikishi7, like, yeah. he used to release this stuff only at, like, comic Cat. So that stuff like would never get translated, and it's like impossible to find if you're an English speaker because it's usually put on like Japanese-only websites. Right. Um, and you know, 
the people there are also just doing it as a hobby, so it's unlikely they would want to localize it. Yeah, I don't um, know if like there is the same like indie indie to professional like pipeline that exists in the US. The very sort of like I don't know. Everyone expects it like well Yeah. Like hobby development. Sometimes the people specialize a lot and then yeah, like I think I do know that there's some dispute of like people who like people might not identify as indie but they'll identify as doujin. Yeah. Um, and then I knew know that there's like a very like I don't know about indie to AAA, but you know there are schools that will be like okay you're gonna learn how to be a technical artist or whatever and just do visual effects. Yeah. Um, you know if you go to the bookstore it's just like filled and it's like filled with like these like books that are just like references of like the best quote best graphics from like 2020 games or something um or like breaking down like a sword limit break by like frame by frame or like okay there's a huge book that just breaks down all the ai systems of final fantasy 15 oh geez yeah so i feel like there needs to be more of that kind of like granular like design stuff because i think there's like something to understanding like how everything works but um, strange. I think the roles are definitely specialized. I guess they are in, yeah. in everywhere in AAA games. It's it's a scene I am very <laughs> far away from, so I'm very unfamiliar with AAA. That is. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah I don't know much about it either. Um. So here's the important point. The important question I got asked. I guess I can't ask this question, which is, how did you hear about Indie Apocalypse, and how? Can I get more people to hear about it? Uh, I think it probably would have been just like retweeted onto my timeline okay. by someone who participated in it because I follow a lot of uh, like solo devs and like freeware devs. Yeah. Because I remember uh, like yeah. maybe you retweeted, but it was like when you I think it was at the end of like your blog about i think it was the alive games dead games blog where you just, oh yeah that one you just kind of offhandedly mentioned him like that's weird maybe you should oh yeah i see i see everything no <laughs> there's a lot of stuff i just like secretly follow on right and i was like maybe they're referring maybe he's referring to a different indie apocalypse it must be a different one because i've been doing this for a year and nobody pays attention to it the indie apocalypse food delivery startup Right, yeah. There's another blog that I'm not that I'm unaware of, but that's actually like I part of the reason why you have have you on the show besides wanting to have a lot of people on the show is that I have referenced Alive Games, Dead Games like a bunch of times, like every third show, because it's something I think about a lot, and that was a someone you put into words that like ah oh, yes, someone else I I tend to think of it as like. I don't have a word for what you would call live games, but I think of dead games as software as opposed to games. Yeah, I, I, you know, some, reading some of the responses to the post, I kind of think I maybe should have come up with a less uh, like spicy sounding term, but <laughs> I, I think I, I generally agree with. Like, I don't know. I think I like, I think the games industry needs a little more spice every now and then, and like people are allowed to criticize other creators in the space. Yeah, like the way I look at it is like, well, like, maybe you're hurting someone's feelings in AAA doing it, but it's also, like, it's not like there's a lot of 
wide respect for the stuff we're working on. I mean, there is obviously in our community, but I mean, like, as far as things go, it's like, you know, I can criticize whatever I want. It's fine. Yeah. As long as it's not like a person. Right, right. (laughs) You can like, because I think in sometimes like in some aspect, like the practice of everything being like, everything has to be triple a video games we all have to make our indie directs or something i think in criticizing that you kind of help to free people from that to some extent yeah that's good yeah i think there's a lot of value in what people can bring just working on a small level yeah because you're even if you're not oh yeah go on oh no i was gonna say i've in the rule in ra- this radio show rules, you have something to say, just go through me and I will stop talking. Oh, yes, that is 100%. What, that's what I, the real reason I wanted you to have you on here. Tell me about Nihon Falcom. That's what I want to hear about. Can we talk about Nihon Falcom? Yes, I have played. What do you want me to, what, what should I, I talk about? Let's see, I've played like two hours of Trails of the Sky and I think three or four or two or three East games. <laughs> Let's talk about the alternate world when Nihon Falcom is Square Enix. Yeah, um, I I just feel like like Nihon Falcom's games they're like they're simultaneously like very kind of they're, okay they're I think they're very honest about what they are they're like yeah. pretty straightforward games and I can respect that like they don't have a lot of the sort of bullshit. Like, we're making the best art in the world stuff that, like, Square Enix does. You know, like, right. if you watch, like, footage of Final Fantasy VII Remake, I'm like, like, Jesus Christ, like, everything in this costs so much. And it yeah. kind of just looks like a movie. And, like, I'm sure it's fun. Well, they, they did but, try that. Like, it inherently feels kind of like... Like, a Final Fantasy VII story is no no better than, like, a Trails, like, story. Like, yeah. They're both, you know, they're both fun, kind of, like, soap operas and kind of bad. Um but also, but then the Final Fantasy VII feels a little bit more like pretentious. Like they're like, oh yeah, we're but we're making you know a good story. Right. We spent um, a, millions and millions of dollars to make our graphics look prettier. Yeah, like Nihon Falcom, they're they do seem to be scaling up, but they are relatively smaller. I mean, they're still AAA in my mind, but they're not like not to the extent of like Kojima or right something. Yeah, they're they're but, like that... trails. Yeah, they're, they're what. I was going to say that perfect, like, I talked about this on the last episode where I, this idea of what I thought of growing up reading GameSpot is like the Greg Kasavin 7 and Nihon Falcom seems like to be a company of that, which is like, here's a game that's fine, it's average, it's interesting, but it's like more interesting than it is good sometimes. And it's not big budget it's, or low budget. It's like perfectly in the middle. It's kind of like... I don't know how to explain my like fascination with their games. They're... It's I mean the, I guess the main draw about like the Trail series is that it's it's chronological and in the same world, which is a really interesting thing from a, like a, a spatial standpoint. Like you know, you, there's like fantasy novels that are in the same world, but a lot of games they don't. Right. Like if 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 a triple A company is going to spend millions of dollars, I would it would be like it is nicer if they just put everything in the same world because it's kind of interesting to like be playing a different like 50-hour game and still be in the same like 
country. Yeah. Or like in a different province or something. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a very unique um, and almost like for like AAA is kind of experimental, you know, like I don't know many games series that do that. Right, and there's what, like, how many other, like, ten at least? or There are ten mainline Trails games, and then the 11th is coming out this year. And then there's, like, a spinoff that might be canon that I'm playing. (laughs) It might be. It might be canon. I think it's canon. (laughs) Where's the nebulous canon come in? Uh, Well, everyone kind of thinks the overarching arc is going towards, like, okay, so there's, I feel like there's this funny... Like thing about Falcom where they're always kind of like five years behind the like the most common trope in like anime. Okay. So like right now Trails is going towards like Isekai. <laughs> Alright. Um, so we're like, okay, we're finally getting there. What a twist um, that would be. Right? I'm like, oh yeah, who saw that coming? Um but that's also kind of why it's fun. So Yeah. Um Yeah. Wow. It's like fun to follow. I don't know. Otherwise it's like I don't know. I don't play a lot of AAA games. No, I mean I I barely play video games, so I yeah. understand I understand that mentality. Video games take a long time to play, as I'm sure you know, playing Trails games. Yes, I actually just I didn't even like finish Cold Steel one and two. I just watched the cutscenes on YouTube. Ah, oh, so yeah, perfect. Like, I that, yeah, I don't. I played the most recent sort of like long games I played through was Dragon Quest and I don't know how I could do it without the fast forward button on my emulator yeah it's it can be it's like tough there's this like, it's funny though like Trails games they include like turbo modes so right. <laughs> um, you can just run like three times faster if they recognize um, like yes you have time you don't we're not going to monopolize all of this time, but we still have to be in. I mean, that's an interesting thing. Like, if they have a turbo mode, why not design the game that doesn't require a turbo mode? Right. Yeah. I mean, they have made the battles like faster over time. They're they're an interesting company because they do a lot of like fan outreach and stuff. Because I I feel like they must barely like make enough money to stay afloat. Right. Um, because they have they put so much money into like merch and like these like fan things and fan newsletters and stuff um but then like i see you see them like expanding hiring more people and then i'm like well now now your cycle is just gonna it's kind of yeah it seems tough in AAA because you have to keep like making the graphics what is popular in the mainstream and right. so they have to hire more people because now you need you know you need more graphics yeah, weird like occasionally i'll be like hmm should i apply to neon falcon like no no it's like a terrible idea but <laughs> it would be kind of funny <laughs> to work there for like a year right you just see what neon falcon is in terms of like a company like what the workflow is of it all right because like, like i don't even you know it's definitely very like formal like they release stuff very quickly and you know everything feels very modular like like assuming i was even fluent enough to work there i feel like i'd probably end up having to like just make cutscenes, right? And I already kind of hate doing that, so. <laughs> <laughs> I like that's how I found like um, when I was playing Dragon Quest. I'm like they crank out a lot of these just because they just keep using the same maps over and over again and go, but make them a little bigger. 
and there's yeah like, and you have like you know you can just be like okay well you're gonna have to make all the cutscenes for like the fire village or something and yeah that person spends a year just like doing that and, and it's like we already have our battle system so we don't need to build that again yeah it's like do i want to design rpg battles no, not really and then other than that there's not a lot of game design to the trails games sorry trails <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, they're they're RPGs that are just like yeah. They they have their they have their little niche. They, that's the has like interrupts and spacing, right? I mean, I would say Trails battle system is pretty good as far as an RPG goes. Right. Um, but it's you know it still is like a turn based RPG. Right. Once you're into like your 140th hour and your seventh Trails game, you're kind of like, I, I know how to play this game. Yeah, I'm just going to set to very easy mode and barrel through this. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Nihon Falcom's funny. It's like, I don't even know. I think it's yeah. just fun to follow. Yeah. You know? Right. Well, I think it's interesting. It's sometimes I wanted another shit. Something I wanted to do is I wanted to start like there's a lot more like book clubs lately for games that are just like yeah. Deep Hell's doing one, and uh, there's like a one that's been done for Seventh Saga, and now they're yes. playing Shin Megami Tensei. Yeah, that's the one. Like I was thinking, yeah, because people need. I think it's there's something fascinating about playing these old games that nobody cares about. These like the non-canon games. Yeah, I'm playing it with like other people. Yeah, because it helps. Like, because there's very little. Like, I don't know. There's games don't have a very strong cult canon. It feels like. Right, except Earthbound or something. Right, but <laughs> at this uh. point. Earthbound is like just shorthand for RPG that might be a little weird. RPG with a joke. Right. <laughs> my favorite, yes. I love all my RPGs with jokes that are just Earth. Yeah. Before eventually, or like I, half of the Earthbound games are probably just Undertale now. Like, yeah, it's. I don't know. The funny thing about Earthbound is like, um, Anodyne 1 has always been compared to it, but. Yeah. I think because, like, it has jokes. Um, right. I played it long time. Like nothing. Back when it first came out, yeah. and I wouldn't say it was, yeah. like, Earthbound. But I guess, once again, I guess there's a, the flattening of what Earthbound is. I think it's a positive comparison. It's sort of like, oh, it's a unique game, which it is. Yeah. Um, I think it just kind of goes to say, show there's not a lot of... Um, <laughs> There's not a lot of point of references for like games that are out there. Right. Um, it kind of says a lot about the AAA game scene that like the most popular quirky game is like a game from 25 years ago. Right. Someone who wasn't even really a game designer. <laughs> yeah, and or or yeah. the most popular ones are games that are inspired by said game. Yeah. Whether directly or directly inspired by its own inspirations and that sort of thing. But why is anyone talking about human like, entertainment nowadays? What did they make? Well, they they did that on the original Clock Tower. They did like uh, SOS and La Place No Ma. They did a lot of weirder kind of like. That's why. Oh I, wow, they're like they have a lot of history. Seventeen years. 
Yeah. They also was... made Adventures of Gilligan's Island. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, they, they did a lot of like. They, they they feel like an extremely like B company out of Japan that like maybe two of the games came over here. Uh, this is um, this is where Suda Fifty One got his start. Oh okay. Yeah. Wait, I Fire think Pro I... Wrestling, Moonlight Syndrome. Somehow I f- feel like I knew that. Oh, they also could, oh they did Fire Pro games too. Yeah. They did yeah. Okay, I see. But yeah, huh. there's like yeah I. Similar, like, occasionally I thought about, like, well, let me look into, tr- like, the games, like, Tri-Ace had made. Like, these, like, Tri-Ace weird. Is... They're, like, the, the very, they may, I feel like they make very, like, dense RPGs. Because they are, like, they're Valkyrie Profile and, like, Resonance of Fate. I think they also did Star Ocean. They, I think yeah. so. I read yeah, Star Ocean. For a while. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's like Resonance of Fate. That was a interesting game. Yeah. I liked it. I remember, like, when I first tried it, I was like, this is a lot going on. I don't have time for this right now. <laughs> I have to, like, set these people on paths and... Yeah, it is quite slow. I think... I do think that the nice thing about... So if no... If, who's listen, if you're listening, you haven't played Resonance of Fate on... Um, <laughs> Basically, you have to like launch. You have to make people run across the field in lines and like jump and do like front flips to like yeah. shoot guns. It has like a stagger system, like Final Fantasy Thirteen. Um, but I kind of feel like that's what AAA JRPGs should be. Like they should be these like totally like absurd like theatrical battle systems that don't make a lot of sense and maybe right. they're easy to break. But you know, it's like otherwise, what you're just gonna do like turn based? It's like yeah, um, turn base can be really cool, but usually only in a limited, like, very kind of indie design context. Because otherwise, you're just doing the same thing a hundred times. Right. It haven't changed since Dragon Quest, or, or let's not forget, the, or the endless innovation of the active time battle. Yeah. You just got better at hiding the bar. The best best ATV game is uh, Facets. By have you had any of John Tyre's games? What was that Anyways, there's a good uh, facets. Okay. Type in the chat. F A C E T S. It's like a game that it's like uh, it's a, I think it's free, a free indie game, and it's an ATV system, but it's there's only like ten or eleven fights, and they're all like very tightly designed around the ATV system. Oh, okay. Very interesting. Yeah. I was recently talking with someone. I think it was just in the Discord the indiepocalypse.com slash discord about like the, cause someone's doing like preservation of like Michigan games. And he's talking about how games had just disappeared. Oh, you know what? It was because they were talking about the, um, the French blog, that French blog that I forget the name of Pierre runs it. It is, I have to go find it. What is it called? Um, Oh no, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this. Rouge <laughs> Vipo. I didn't take French, but Speak he. Speak French. <laughs> um, I opted for Spanish. Seemed a more practical language to learn as an American. I took Spanish in high school. And it serves me right. I recently, I just before this show, read a comic in Spanish, and I'm like, I mostly understood that. I 
pretty much have a functional understanding of Spanish. Anyway, um, and they were t- we were talking about games that just like, oh, they're gone. They don't exist anymore. They're dead links now. And I was wondering, like, I have like a folder on my computer that just says indie games. And I haven't been meaning to go through that and look at like, how many of these games don't exist on the internet anymore? Um, yeah, that's sad. I've seen a few go over the years. There was this game, I think it was out of Japan, maybe? It was called, like, Teleport Tower Plus. And I loved it. And then I remember looking it up, like, years later, and I could not find it. Like, it didn't exist anymore. It was, like, this dual-screen puzzle game where you, like, teleported between the two sides of something, and I thought it was very well made. And now I don't know if it ever exists. But oh, yeah, so now, now if I search it on Google, I got a Genshin Impact screenshot. Oh, yes, Genshin Impact. That's a lot. I, hear, I don't want to get into Genshin Impact. <laughs> I hear gamers have been sleeping on Genshin Impact. I Oh, yeah. That's the Game thing the that makes me hate video games is that I remember seeing journalists for a major game website say, I can't believe Game of the Year is sleeping on these titles. And it was like Genshin Impact and other things there's like why were they sleeping on them because critics weren't acknowledging these titles that were the most googled titles this year and Uh. other art forms aren't perfect but i feel like people aren't being like well you have to give the marvel movie game of the year a film of the year it's the most watched movie this year a lot of there's a lot of bad bad things and I think uh, it's like, yeah, it's complicated. It's a, it's a slow roll of progress that it'll be here eventually, maybe. I hope so. As yeah. long as people keep plugging away at it. And Melis, I got to ask a question as we, I believe, are at the end of our talk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, what's, what is, what's a game you would recommend to people? that is like not for everyone what's what's like i was gonna say trying to think that's not a nihon falcom game but it's like a game that's got nihon falcom energy Falcom energy um if you have one think about this It'd be something similar to Isis Combat. Um, can't think of it. <laughs> yeah, just say what. Let's well, find the home Falcom game. It's it's. Uh, no, that's fine. I put you on the spot last yeah. minute, second, and that is what this <laughs> my my throat breaks have been. And don't worry about it. Um, uh, thank you. It was glad to ha- glad very much glad to talk to you. Milos, um, we're going to go to break now. Play our, our next next game. Green and I's next next game might have action energy from... Oh, can I... I don't know, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's actually not really based on that one. But, no, I can't I can't bump against people and kill them? Oh, no. But, yeah, I love that, actually. Yeah, go, go play, everyone should go play East 1. It's like an interesting experiment. But not like the newer versions that have real combat? Mm. No, those are just those are fun, but they're kind of you know it's like dodge rolls, Dark right. Souls infected. Do they re? 
anyway, we're gonna, well, you almost you almost dragged me to an east hole. We're not going down there. We have to go. Yeah, no, break. no, no. Okay. Yeah, we should move on then. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I've, there's plenty of times to break through those walls like so many dogas, but I got the guy's name right, right? Dogi. Dogi. Damn it, I got so close. I think I named a Fire Emblem guy. Anyway, I went on break. Now I'm hitting transition now. Goodbye. Hello, and welcome back to Indiepocalypse Radio. That was Stereo Component. I got that. There was a... I think I talked about this last week. There's a defunct label called like Fortune 500. Has a lot of dash wave genre music, if you will, casino wave, vapor wave, whatever wave, sailor wave, and it. I think it went under, and all their stuff is just on like Google links now on their Bandcamp page. Which is very weird. But we are here with our next guest, Evan Dom, who you may know from I guess comics for a long time. We're Vatu right now, Rice Boy in the past. Or if you're on, if you're a real Twitch head, you may know his, you know his show that airs tomorrow night, the Ambiguity Program. Welcome, Evan. Thank you. Hello. Good Hello. evening. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. I'm uh, really just drawing all day, every day, and uh, <laughs> kind of losing my mind a little lately. I'm coming up on a deadline. Okay. Yes. I. Yeah. That seems like it can be rough considering like you know also deadlines deadlines do not go away just because the world is shut down in fact it just means you have nothing else to do except sit around and make work to meet deadlines yeah it's really um it's really kind of inhibited my capacity to cope with <laughs> the world shutting down you know like i i keep forgetting that it's happening and <laughs> Almost a year now, Jesus. <laughs> Over a year, I think. Depending, I guess on, so. Depending oh, well, on when my, you my, my personal calendar is is around when I uh, when I heard that the uh, Emerald City Comic Con 2020 was canceled, like within a week of it being scheduled to happen. Like it's crazy that they didn't cancel it earlier, and that was, <laughs> I guess, around now. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember seeing people on Twitter recently. Because the last event I did was PAX East, and everyone was like, "GDC's canceled. That's weird. Um, I wonder what's going to get canceled." And everyone's like, "I guess wash your hands now." And luckily, no one got very sick from that event, which was nice. Like it was not a super <laughs> spreader event. And we still. Um... And we never really <laughs> adjusted to the new reality. Like we're never, we're, we never started taking it seriously enough, no. you know, systemically and just no, love I, it. No, it is. Yes. No, it has not. I have a lot of firsthand experience with people not taking it serious, but that is none of the internet's business as to why that is. Mm -hmm. But, um, I we only have two questions from our guests, so I'm going to hit you with the first one, which was, "What's the best live show you've ever seen, Evan?" Oh, um, oh, well, I, hang on a second. Probably, um, probably Animal Collective. Okay, they're a, ba a band that I have really loved since like 2006 or something. Whenever they first started. Okay, so like way, way, way back when they first started. 
Well, I was very into them back then, but I saw them maybe four or five years ago. So like way past the sort of era of their music that I was deep, deep into. But um, God, they're so they're just so strange in like a upbeat and exciting way that I and like funny kind of way that I yeah. always have loved. And their their show involves a lot of like projected lights on um, on 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 big sculptures and stuff. OK. Yeah. Uh, and uh, was it John Charles was talking about Anamanaguchi? Yes. Earlier, and uh, that I, I that made, makes me so nostalgic for uh, seeing. I used to see a bunch of uh, chiptune stuff in in Brooklyn in like the early 2010s. That was a huge scene, and I really miss it. <laughs> well, um, everyone's like got that anxious energy. So hopefully, like you know, 2023 when we're all vaccinated and there's not a double coronavirus or something everyone will be like so pent up and ready to go out there and like do a million shows. Yeah. And venues and will, I've be been, like, will be like, I'm so yeah. glad to have you. Yeah. And I've been like accumulating new hobbies and abilities. So I assume other people have been too. And yeah, there'll be something to emerge out of all this, all this. <laughs> all right. I've spent a year publishing a zine. Hell yeah. It's a long, uh, I'm Yeah. I now now I don't know what I would. It's become so ingrained in my life that I'm like I don't know what I would do if I was not doing it. I've really gotten pretty dependent on doing this um, streaming thing. Yeah. I I, uh, I um I don't interact with many people verbally lately. Yes. And uh, and uh, this is I've been wanting to do some like live event curated cartoon thing for years and years and years and. Uh, it made sense to do it on Twitch, and I've been like figuring out this whole system and 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 developing like a a way to do it, and it's become a it's become a cool little thing, and a lot of people are very into it, and I feel kind of like a um, some kind of evangelist. Yeah, like it's no, good, it's, it's 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 good for me to learn these different types of visual literacy too, you know. Right. Yeah. I. It was your show and Trash Night and um, Brave New Faves. Plus, like, a tiny bit of spite for um, video game shows that I thought were very lame and uncool is why I started this <laughs> show. Oh, cool. Because what is Brave New Faves? Brave New Faves is a show that airs after this. Um, I Usually late, much late, too late night for me sometimes because I think she's based out of Vancouver. It's Kathleen DeVere of also very old internet, Loading Ready Run. She does, like, a pirate radio show every Saturday night. Oh, cool. That's just, hey, let's listen to new indie music or something. And Trash Night is like a bad movie night that the Brattle, that used to show in the Brattle in Boston, but then COVID. So they just started doing it online. Yeah. Man, there's there's this place in Brooklyn, probably my favorite, my single favorite establishment called Spectacle Theater that um, plays, would, would would play just like, you know, like three movies every night, never, ever a single thing I'd ever heard of in my yeah. life. Just the most profoundly strange, independent shit. Okay. Uh, just tiny little theater. It was all run by volunteers so they could afford to keep existing in Williamsburg way past when anything at all marginal or weird could afford to live in Williamsburg, you know? Right. But, um, God, I fucking miss that so much. Is just it? Bring them. Bring a beer and watch a weird old movie you've never heard of. That also, but somehow stars, actors, you everyone has always heard of somehow. 
often yeah it's it's they're all over the place but they they've been streaming stuff too that that's kind of what made me want to start doing a ambiguity program cuz uh you know streaming video exists right. yeah and turns out the twitch cops aren't going to come and shut you down so go crazy yeah, with it so so far so good right <laughs> i i <laughs> make sure i turn off my archives cuz i just know how I play mostly like independent music, so I'm assume I want to get DMCA'd, but you never know who gets DMCA happy, you know. Yeah, I um, yeah, I wonder when I'm gonna run into that wall. I don't know. I I upload stuff to YouTube and and it gets like automatically muted or whatever. Or yeah, or like flash demonetized or something like in a yeah. second. But I have not been. Uh, uh, I have not been deplatformed. <laughs> you've not been canceled yet canceled by the youtube uh, algorithm <laughs> yeah i guess it really like depends on who is going to like who is catching that kind of stuff because i'm sure like warner brothers will have a thing to say or, or two but like who's coming after old eastern block car commercials yeah nobody none of that stuff is enforced or seems like owned by anybody at all yeah really <laughs> and basically the whole as far as i can tell every single thing that i've ever found made in the ussr or eastern Bloc countries in the like ephemeral cartoon world uh is basically just free online on a russian streaming site right not not reliably reproduced in any kind of high quality on DVD or whatever. Just, uh, nobody gives a shit about it. It's like a lost parallel universe. Yeah. Well, cause like, I, I, I love it. <laughs> now how, how is the process of finding something on a Russians? Do they use enough English or do you have to like copy paste Cyrillic and figure it out? Um, well, I just discovered that Google Chrome can do the, uh, automatic translate so i do that okay. but generally generally i'll find out about something elsewhere or i'll find something on youtube that looks cool and i can sort of rifle through mults.info uh to find a slightly higher quality version of it or something yeah it's tricky with the it's tricky with the russian stuff it seems very hard to get high quality versions right. of stuff but I guess, like, how um, does that, you know, how does any of it get its way to, like, high-quality prints find their way to the Internet Archive? It's somebody has to have the original somewhere mm -hmm. and put them up. Yeah. And and there's so much, like, just lost stuff. Yeah. I, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply obsessed with uh, Fleischer Studios, the Betty Boop people. Yeah. And um, they're, they're, I, I assume that, like, all of their stuff still exists on film and has been transferred somehow because it's right. like they're a pretty big one. Um, and there's this great Betty Boop Blu-ray that has like just incredibly beautiful transfers of a bunch of them. But then there are some that are just like just nowhere. You can find like really shitty old uploads on YouTube, but uh, I can't find any way to find a better ver version of them. You know, yeah. it's, it's crazy to... <laughs> The, the the running the the show is like kind of made me think about time and like history differently right like 
a hundred years, like, well, I guess that's 90 years is an abstract, is a more abstract, is a more abstract idea. I don't know, like wrapping my head around, like that there was a pop culture back then that seemed as real to people then as it seems to me now. Yes. Yeah. And that things got made and there were physical, physical artifacts and physical records of that pop culture that, why would I expect them all to hang on in high no. in high quality? You know? right. Why do you, it's crazy why, to wrap your head around? Yeah, who is like even if like these these old boops are in a cart like in a can somewhere in some warehouse? Why would there be someone who's like, well, I guess we got to transfer these all to Blu-ray? Yeah, the people are clamoring. And stuff stuff does deteriorate. You know, yeah. I've had the internet practically my whole life, so like I'm not used to thinking of things in terms of there's a physical thing that deteriorates. Yeah. 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 Yes. If tape breaks down CDs, yeah. CDs even like don't last forever. I remember seeing recently people saying like, Oh, check your old CDRs. Cause they're probably all dead now. Yeah. They got about 20 years, I think. So all your old mixes you made in high school with all your new metal or whatever you had on them. Although I, um, Maybe these are more durable than uh, than CDs, but I, I've been uh, I've been playing SNES cartridges on my little Chinese bootleg SNES, and they work great. Yeah, well, I think it's the, I think the batteries might I think those are like a problem with the batteries die, so you can't save anymore in some cases. Oh yeah, but that makes I think sense. The carts hold out pretty well because it's just like chips or I. Listen, I'm not a technical. I don't know techno how. I'm just I'm oh, a yeah. regular and guy. Nothing, nothing's got to like move around or anything, right? I don't know. Nothing's I'm not technical gonna, either. Nothing's gonna fall apart, I guess. I have yeah. s- something in my headphones that rattles around, but my headphones still work, so I assume it's all good. <laughs> I don't want to buy new ones; they were expensive. Um. I played Earthbound for the first time recently. Yes, what is, what is that Earth, Earthbound perspective as like an adult and not like an impressionable teen who thinks Earthbound is really cool and wants to get into Earthbound? Yeah, I I, I wonder the opposite. Like I project myself backwards to think about it. <laughs> well, but I, I've I'll, been, I'll help you there in a second. <laughs> I, I've I've been really uh, I I love. 90s JRPGs, the tiny bit that I had played of them, and I'm trying to like build more of a literacy uh, about them now. And um, I was fucking blown away by it. I mean, it's uh, it's so aesthetically confident and like perfect. You know, yeah. it 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 has the way that it, it it's so acutely aware of its limitations in such a way that you never see them as limitations like uh graphically and aesthetically yeah it all just feels perfect and and the um the the ways that it's like clunky are all just sort of genre things that it's self-consciously riffing on in a way that i really love um i don't know it's just a big wild shifting disorienting journey i really i really loved it yeah I will say the teen's perspective is, wow, you can fight hippies. That's pretty cool. That's Look at pretty th- twisted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, I beat up these. Like, it's These aren't monsters or goblins or anything. They're like crows and dogs. That is very funny. 
Yeah. That last boss is weird. <laughs> yeah, God. I love the breaking the form thing so much. Yeah. I actually, I, I, I played that along with uh, uh, my friend Matt, who had played it when he was a kid. And he's not like a video, he's not like a, a, a very video gamey person, I think. Yeah. But um, not a gamer, very, you might say. Very fun to, to, to talk through it from, from both of our perspectives on it. Yeah. Well, okay, we're good. <laughs> I got nervous there What's for a that? second. Um, no, my Discord just blinked off and on, but it, it turns it is all good. We're not okay, having the problems nice. that I've had before. Where everything. Uh oh. You can still hear me, right? I can hear you. Okay, we're still good then. All right, everything's just like some some video thing must have crashed at some point. Everything's good though. We're still good. All right. Anyway, so old RPGs. So you've been getting into. So what what were the um, ones you had like a perspective for like back in the day? Do you remember which ones they were and like what you remember about them? Um, I did play a little bit of Earthbound long, long ago. Uh, I played, um, well, I never had a, like a console, like a TV console. Okay. Um, but I had a Game Boy and a Game Boy Advan- Advance eventually, and I played, um, Oh, what's it called? Golden Sun. Yeah. Um, and have, Pokemon. Okay, and that's, a, that's about it. I've never played Golden Sun like meaningfully through, but I do really like the... My favorite thing about Golden Sun that I think about a lot is the confirmation boxes. Because Oh, with little, the little yeah, faces? The little guy shaking his head yes or no is perfect. I have like a powerful sense memory of that game. I, I, I want to play it again, but I, it, it seems like a one that's particularly, I, I got this little, um, this little like a uh, game boy shaped emulation machine yeah. that can do a bunch of contemporaneous like game boy Advance games very well. But, um, that game in particular seems very difficult to emulate from my experience, but okay. I, I, I want to play it again. I always wonder with like I because I am just like I have I have an, an HDMI switcher that I move from my computer to my TV and I just play on an emulator because I have a lot of this old hard as a team with disposable income I spent a lot of it on video games mm-hmm. and like collecting and amassing older video games so I have like a TurboGrafx 16 with like Keith Courage that nobody needs to play. <laughs> And just like these, okay, these other like, and also like a bunch of games that are like weirdly very expensive now. This is Andrew's dive into, wow, all of my old games are super expensive. My price charting went up like $200 in the last month, just in terms of like me not touching anything and valuation increasing. Mm -hmm. But emulation works just as well for all these old games. And it speaks to the poor quality of game preservation that all these plenty of which I think are considered to be classics are hard to get. Yeah. It's, um, it seems like a bad medium for having any sort of history or like, you know, any, or any archive, like you, you just, everybody just relies on, um, you know, just illegal copies and illegal right. <laughs> hardware, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. It's not like, yeah. Cause with the, ad, it's not like a, like a, 
like a master for like an album where it's just like we just transfer it. You can just transfer it to whatever the new medium is. It's like, no, this is software that doesn't play on whatever box you want. It doesn't play on most of the new boxes unless someone puts mm-hmm. in a lot of extra work. It's not as I, easy uh, as like transferring things over to DVD now and then over to Blu-ray. Yeah. So it's I, like... Um, I also played... Uh, most of the illegal stuff should just not be illegal. Yes. Says a chat person. Chat um, person. I, I, future guest. I, I played uh, Final Fantasy VI also several months ago for the first time. Really, uh, really sticks with me. That, I want to make a game like that. I, I would just abandon all. I would abandon comics and just do that. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah. And I mean, the tools are getting there so you can more easily make like games like that. But there's like all of those prefabs like RPG maker, you just kind of, I think there's a lot of like weird problems you run into. Like you hit the limitations um, too quickly, like that you're not expecting. Yeah. That, that program seems too boxed into me. I don't know when I, I I made a little thing in GB studio a little while ago and then I got very excited and looked at all these different engines and like looked at how people on YouTube describe these different engines and like, it's really, uh, it's crazy. There's just all these different ways of building these things, and and all these like very expensive, uh, yes, <laughs> pre prefabbed little boxes to make your your RPG in. Yeah, yeah, RPG makers. It's, yeah, I think really, I think most of them are just like good enough for what you want to do. I see a lot of people use Godot. I've seen a lot of Godot recently. It seems. Oh yeah, that one's like open source. That appeals to me. Yeah, that seems like it's probably most of the most of the stuff I use is open source, and it does not fail me. So I assume Godot being open source is not like a prohibitive in any way. Mm-hmm. But I've never played with it, so I don't know like how much programming it requires, like how much like language you need to learn to do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, there is the. The draw to make a game that I have not made any games in like over a year has been hurtful, and I want to do mm-hmm. it again, especially since I. Like, I oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was I was always gonna say because right as I part of the reason I started Indie Apocalypse is because I was like hitting my stride and I was like, oh shit, there's no market for the games I want to make. <laughs> this sucks. I want to make money. I don't want to have to do shitty day jobs and then make games that people go that wind up on a free indie games list or something. I go to like, I go to the Massachusetts independent comic expo and I see people selling like 15 page comics for like $15. I'm like, damn, I wish you could do that for video games. Can you not? I, I, um, I think about this a lot. I've been doing, like web comics quote unquote since yeah. 2006 and like just how profoundly different the the internet and sort of spaces of independent publishing generally were back yeah. then i i wouldn't know how to enter any of those spaces now I, it seems like very different and it, it may maybe it's easier maybe it's harder in certain ways but it certainly requires a lot of navigating um 
navigating different social media platforms right. in a way that I never learned to really. I think it's now that just like you have to, you have, there's actually, no, there was like keen spot back in the day. So I guess it hasn't really changed to some extent, but like, well that, but, but that, well, that wasn't the whole internet. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. Now like it's, like face, Facebook emerged and it was like a weird novelty, but right. People still went to fucking websites. That's that's the main, the main, you know, right. tragedy to is me that, is that all the websites are still there, but nobody right. goes to them. It's all like they're all aggregators now, so you have to. You can make your comic, but you have, make sure you also put on like Tapas or what's the other one? Webtoon. Yeah, that's a big one. Or Instagram, just or just compromise whatever format you had in mind to make it fit into this. The the, the 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 corporate uh form factor and algorithmic structure of the thing of the moment it's oh scava cloud monstrous. is so sad yeah the infinite canvas where is it the thing is it's still there you yeah. know it could still be there it's just it's very uh well, i don't want to say that it's too bleak i don't know i right. like I, conventions people would be starting out and would like ask me what self-publishing looks like and it just the further the more time passes the more incomprehensible it is to me right right starting in these in these spaces and i'm i'm lucky to have built something that that can exist kind of uh it can that can continue to exist within them i guess right you like you there is there is you know of being of the old guard a friend and i were just looking at like looking like which webcomic are still around today and it's like oh i guess it makes sense that they're just like newspaper comics they just continue on in perpetuity because people still like them mm-hmm. and it's just like oh if you started off and you kept going for the most part you are still going yeah if people reached a certain critical mass before yeah. or in like 20 the early 10s or whatever right yeah fucking pvp online is still running yeah I'm, just, I'm looking at that now what what are what are some other those 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 shitty daily things no offense no uh, i any arcade I, right yeah still trucking along like yeah i i i've i'm very hesitant to say which ones are shitty daily ones because i don't know <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to navigate people... who you're insulting because they're probably very nice people. Much like Jim, I'm sure Jim Davids is a very nice person. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that he is. Yeah, but, these people are are my colleagues, I guess. Right. But I'm never gonna like Penny Arcade. But they're like webcomics Garfields. <laughs> it's like wow, I can't believe the art hasn't changed in like ten years. It's exactly how I remembered it. It's so bizarre. Yeah. But, I've been doing this one comic. I mean, I've been doing a whole bunch of other stuff on the side, but I've been doing Vatu for 10 years now. Yes, and, yes, um, that is. And I have, I, uh, I've I found a weird thing where I've I like, want to be on. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. It's probably I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to do, to do the next thing, you know, yeah. the next self-published thing. Or you just like stop doing, pivot entirely to video games. The last, the last TCAF I was, I was at, I believe I was, yeah, I think it was the last one I was at. I was next to Meredith Grand because she had gone into games now. 
Oh, I love her. But that she, I think she was there for like two seconds before going, hey, you know what? I'm at TCAF. I should be tabling comics because nobody pays for video games at events. <laughs> well, and co- comics are what, a lot of what she built, you know, yeah. and she can translate a lot of that into the game thing, but it's, she's still got the books, you know? Right, right. I, really- um, I, I really adore her work. I, I'm excited to see that thing. I am yes, and she's. It's also building. She's also building an adventure game studio, which is like the engine I started in, and it's so like cool. fascinating to see someone building something in that engine. Cool. It's like a point and click thing. Yeah, yeah. If you want to make it like a Sierra style, like Lucas Arts, those old games, it is very good at doing that. Oh, that is appealing. Yeah. Like, make a make a loom type thing exactly and it requires like it cool. does like all the dialogue it's a very it's an exceptional engine for doing that kind of thing but cool i um have like dragging up tall coding but it's very easy code i need to whenever i'm like deep in a deadline and now like have to be working on one thing in like a grind i get very easily sucked into like, oh, I could just start doing this other totally irresponsible, <laughs> obsessive project. <laughs> you know, why don't I get obsessed? Get get obsessed with that? I've, I I I like I did that with this yeah. fucking video game, and I'm now like, uh, I I'm like just getting theoretically obsessed with like analog video mixing, just like useless skills that I cannot do anything with and have no time to pursue. Right. But it's fun to think about. <laughs> now, see, you got to do my technique, which is once you, once you have the free time, you're like, oh, I can now I can now easily publish this ten game zine every month. Now I have free time again. I should blow it in starting a radio show, so I no longer have free time. That's my life, basically. Yes, just pile it on and <laughs> yeah, overcommit, and uh, you know, hopefully, I won't. Uh, destroy my writing hand by the time i'm 50 whatever right yeah (laughs) yeah it's no i now that i've got this show scheduled a month and ahead i don't know like i need to start a new thing because i'm anxious because i don't know how to fill time anymore because i don't know how to stop working or you can you know try to chip away at the things you're already doing or whatever i mean i i've had that experience a little bit with the uh ambiguity program where like Maybe it's an overcommitment sometimes, and maybe it's t- too much work. But a lot of the time, it's just a, a a thing where I it just chugs along, and most of the curatorial stuff is already done. Yeah. Uh, but then it it becomes this platform to like spend a little bit of time perfecting little bits of it, like adding new bits of animations or whatever. I don't know if that like amounts to anything, but it's I like having the different spaces and room to move in that yeah. way I, I i had an idea for a moment like what if i did like a show that was modern animation like like modern animators because i just like i come across them now and then they're they're like contributors to the zine and things like that they have like vimeos and like oh that'd be really neat but that requires a larger voice than i have and i also just really like animation and art i'm in a art i'm a weird art guy and I want to just like shout it out. It's something I've been figuring, trying to figure out as this zine becomes more popular. It's like, how do I, 
I don't want to be a personality, but I need to like get attention to me so that I can then funnel it to other people. And it's a very complicated balancing act. Yeah. Tricky. And how do you like, uh, you don't want to be a personality, but kind of, you have to be a, you have to like perform a thing in a way. Right. I don't know the way it's, it's weird being like in any sort of way, a public. I, um, hello, we're back. Hello. Yes. I also struggle with that. My, I have a very old desktop and it can't really handle streaming video that are videos that are too big. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what crashes. I think at one point I was like something that I don't remember. OBS is very good for this sort of thing and like saving things, but I am back. The chat will load up. I am not, I am not opening up the internet now. I am just going to use the chat on here. Um, anyway, oh wait, I, I use that for whatever. I'll figure it out. Um, but anyway, Evan, um, glad to have you tell the show. Good Thank you for having me. Nice to talk to you. Nice to um, meet you. As we go out, I got to ask them a very important question. Um, a friend and I said this a while ago, and we're not sure if this is true or if we were up our own ass, but Meriwether Post Pavilion is just a pop album, right? Say it again. Meriwether, Meriwether Post Pavilion. It's basically just a pop album, right? Oh, I could see that. Okay. It has kind of a pop album from a parallel dimension vibe, but right. yeah. <laughs> I said that once. A friend and I decided that once late one night, and someone else was like, no, you two are just so far up your own ass, you don't know what music is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm um, going on a break. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Indie Apocalypse Radio. We're going here. We're back. We're not going to crash anymore. That was Volcano. I'm excited. Um, a lot of my music is from a time where I guess I was just downloading a lot of music in like the mid aughts. So a lot of it's like mid aughts power pop punk pop stuff that was free on Bandcamp in the early Bandcamp days. That's also music that fits in two to three two to three minutes long. I like it. I like fast loud music. Um, we're here with our final guest, Maria Ayano Kitaka. Hello, how you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing good, all things considered. I'm nervous now that my world, everything's going to collapse at any moment. <laughs> but I, I mean, that's that just describes life these days. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh, you may know Maria from. I forgot to introduce you. Um, that, the, remember when, when I said all the stuff about analgesic production and even our oceans and all our Asias and anodynes, both one and two, you're also the other half of said production. I am. Yeah. Me and Melis. Yes. You are a duo of which, and like you've spoken very like much, like Melis especially, but Melis always, um, has spoken about like the idea of like, oh, maybe you just don't need to be more than a duo. Oh yeah. I like small things. That's kind of my whole deal. I like simple things without too many moving parts. And you've been at it for a while at this point. You're much, much like Evan, I would say was old guard comics. You're a lot of like very much old guard indie games. If you (laughs) weirdly to think about now. Yeah, it is weird to think about. Uh, I mean, even at the time when we released Anodyne, like, that was a particular moment uh, where where indie games was kind of coming into focus as like this concept, but 
even at that point, I had been interested in like people doing like hobbyists and like weird little game development, like yeah, for many years at that point, just as a child, browsing the internet. So, so the kids are so the kids in the audience are unaware. In case you're unaware, Summer of Arcade did not invent indie games. <laughs> People were but... making indie games back on their Commodores and their ZXs and everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not that old, but... <laughs> I, neither, neither am I. I never... I mean, my first computer was the Windows 98. I don't know how much of that was personal family wealth or technology and age. I think it's probably a little bit of both. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was really into, like early game maker kind of following the forums and stuff like that before while it was still being developed by a random college professor and not a company right or like a company that's being bought and sold by like gambling companies or something is that the deal now? I, don't I, don't know. Know. I, I feel like there's constantly like more news about game maker i'm like i have to think i have to look at it like is this is still gonna be supported right because it's what i use oh uh, yeah I don't want to have to switch over to Unity or something. Or I'm not a programmer. Yeah, my beloved um, game engine that that it, I guess it's a lot more obscure because whenever I bring it up, no one knows what I'm talking about. But the OHR RPG CD, which was like a little DOS uh, RPG engine. Um, I have no idea what that is. I I loved it. It was it's very goofy. It has a lot of personality. Um, how accessible yeah. is it not, nowadays? It's very easy to use. It's ported to Windows and stuff. You can, I think you might even be able to use it on mobile. I'm not sure, oh. but they're they're pretty. Um, it exports to everything. They they they're still developing it, just like a little bit called? at a time, chipping away. Uh, OHR RPG CE. It's I'm gonna write it in the chat just for me, so I remember because I'm not open the internet to type it in. Yeah, it's um. <laughs> uh, the, the name is like a joke on unpronounceable acronyms so okay. it is an unpronounceable acronym <laughs> yeah because i guess like, clearly they were not first and foremost worried about um like seo optimization and marketability yeah yeah i've as it turns out i i'm getting i'm creeping creeping slowly but slowly i'm getting better at seo optimization Eventually, I will become the indie apocalypse, and not like poorly written articles on Gama Sutra or something. <laughs> Crying about oh, my video, my video game didn't get a million dollars. It must be the indie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. But um, so so when did you start like oh this RPG CE oh unpronounceable garbage <laughs> yeah a lot of people call it the ohr yeah so was how, like when did you start like working in that because you said it, it was like a dos based thing or like yeah i mean i think it's one of those those many things that it like feels old uh you know even when it was new yeah um but uh yeah i was using it probably when i was like eight or nine or ten oh. so like late 90s wow yeah i think back then i was using the starcraft map editor that was my game oh. tool nice nice which i think is also like a weird time capsule in game design that i think i would love to revisit at some point 
undoubtedly there's just going to be crunch somewhere else. Yes, right. Yeah. We're, we're doing what America has always done is just import, export all of our labor to places that will pay people a lot less money. Yeah. yeah. So it really is a deep thing where where you can't really just. It's really not enough to just be like stop doing this because it just gets exported. So it really needs right. to be like thinking about everything different on a, like a fundamental level. Right. Think about like the scale of what games need to be, and do they really need to get bigger every single year, like across the board? Yeah. There's like this the scaling up of like what an indie game needs to be increases like ex I feel like increases every year what is is considered an indie game. Yeah, that definitely was like a really interesting thing to witness for Melis and I to kind of there was a sense of like permeability. Like now now I feel like a little naive. Like I, I really was like when I saw Indie Game the movie, I was like inspired by it, and I was like, "Whoa, people are doing that stuff!" And it's like yeah. it's so um, kind of like cool and dramatic. Uh, and like now I look back on that, I'm like, "This is a little silly." I don't really like how they frame things in that movie. Right. But at the same time, there was a kind of a moment of permeability where it was like, uh, you know, game publications aren't just gonna like not talk about small things like sometimes they might talk about you like who knows yeah uh whereas now i feel like things have settled a lot so so it's it's sort of gone back to like oh we'll talk about indie things if you're the indie that like blew up and had a million whatever right yeah if you're or like you're the indie who has millions of dollars to spend on marketing and that sort of thing yeah, or if it just like organically already blows up, like right. Among Us or something like that. Yes, yeah. It turns out Werewolf, a good game that people enjoy playing. <laughs> uh, who would have thought the video game version also successful? Yeah. Especially when people cannot like talk to each other and have to do everything remotely. I've never played it. I wish I wish Among Us all the best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that is a, oh, I forgot to ask a question from our previous guests. I, because we only had three last week and also only two of them sent me questions, which is, so I'll just go back to the other one. Um, what was the best live event you've ever seen? Best live event I've ever seen. Um, or that you remember. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I, uh, I, don't go to a ton of live shows. Oh, I, I, I was going to say, I was thinking about this question when I heard you ask it to other people. And I do remember, it was very fun, very goofy. Um, I think for my 13th birthday, I went with a friend and my brother and my dad to uh, the, the One Man Star Wars trilogy. It was like a one man live show. All right. Uh, and it was just uh, this guy kind of like flailing around, doing a bunch of sound effects and voices, and had this whole show set up where he told the story of like the three Star Wars movies. Um, was this like and it was really fun. <laughs> was, this like a, was this like a local show or like a traveling, like established act? 
It was it was like a pretty like official established act. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I feel like I've I've never heard of that before. I mean, I I don't think it was like super famous, but yeah. I, it was it was you know at a nice theater and whatever. But I, I guess like theater um, is also like a whole other entire like a whole other world that's easy to not know anything about. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I, I also, one of the more recent shows I went to, possibly the last I went to, was um, a band Charlie Bliss and also Emily Rio. And I really like those two bands and the live show was great. Charlie Bliss has like really high energy live show lots of jumping around and screaming and um that was really fun yeah okay yeah i I definitely miss live shows a great deal or i guess i miss everything a great deal i never realized yeah Yeah. i thought this show would like alleviate kind of like the cooped upness when in actuality just makes it worse because now when you can talk to people once a week you're like I wish I could talk to them every day. Yeah, or like do stuff with people. Yeah. <laughs> so someone DM me after one of the shows, and she was like, "Oh, it's so great to do this show. I love studying and talking to people." I'm like, "Yeah," and then I like realized, "Oh, I'm gonna do this next week. You're going to never do this again, or do it again in like four months." And I yeah. felt bad. But yeah, that's not the thing I was. I almost caught myself I'm obsessing over like the minute kind of like verbal ticks of the phrases I say repeatedly. So I'm trying to like, I'm getting hung up on them and going, Oh no, I almost said it again. Um, what are your thoughts on old RPGs since they seem to be kind of like a running theme of this show at the moment? Uh, yeah, I, I tried, I tried playing, this is a bit of an aside. I tried playing trails uh, the first one recently, and I I enjoyed it. I don't know if I'm gonna play a lot of it, but it was a fun little time. You don't know if you uh, play all ten of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, old RPGs. I think to me RPG. <laughs> Have you ever Melissa's played? Game. What's your experience with Tecmo's yeah. Legend of the Seven Stars? <laughs> I haven't played that. Um, I think RPGs were a thing that I always liked the idea of maybe more than I liked them in practice. Right. I did like them in practice at times, sometimes very much. Um, but it was always a thing where I, I liked to think about them or to know like which ones were good or I tried, you know, downloaded all these like hobbyist RPGs that, you know, most of them weren't good. And I, you know, yeah. play a little of them and be like, eh. but like, I really like the idea of them. And I really like believe in the idea of like making them and playing them. And I thought they were sort of one of the like pinnacle sort of genres for me. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting to like, look back on that now and be like, wait, how many of these did I actually like really, really like them? It's just like right. a very cool imaginative space. I guess. Yeah, I it feels like they when you say that I'm like yeah RPGs used to be like 
the this like this is peak video games yeah as opposed to like now it's kind of like prestige television but a video game is like peak video games i guess yeah prestige television inspired open world games yeah i need to collect and craft a lot of stuff uh the the direction that AAA games have gone like it, it's 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 weird for me to like criticize AAA Right. Because I do think the like structures are bad, but also just like incidentally has gone in a direction that is so not to my taste. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, I like I've I've realized that if I want to play a game that where I collect a lot of stuff, I will. I want it needs to be something where I can use. I recognize that sometimes I my brain wants to see numbers go up, and I want to get incremental progress. That means absolutely nothing. But that's why I play Final Fantasy fourteen. Mm. And Yeah, I I think growing up, uh Final Fantasy nine and seven were were definitely some of my like all time favorite games. Oh, I knew I I thought I had this thought like a while back, but your your profile picture, if you can see it in the chat, is basically what my Final Fantasy seven background was. Oh, for you because you could custom set the yeah. text box color we were talking about this i think in the last year and i was trying to describe it and i was i was having a hard time describing it but it's basically what your profile picture is it's kind of like what my font fantasy 7 background was wow was it hard to read does it have drop shadow on the text <laughs> I, I think it was easy enough to read or like maybe it was a little darker so like the white popped better yeah. against it. yeah but i've been thinking a lot about i've never i haven't played the new Final fantasy 7 but I uh -huh. think a lot about it. Yeah. Because it's like, uh, it's fascinating. Yeah, what do you think about it? Well, uh, well, I played recently I played through Crisis Core on the PSP and it made me think a lot about like what how Final Fantasy 7 is so different now and like the fact that they're from what I can tell actually sort of like reconciling the massive legacy that's built up between in the first and the first game and like its original release and now and how that's like a fascinating way to approach a remake yeah because it has like, it all oh, oh the, the the like story element thing yeah that I, i've heard vaguely about so many of like all the like if you look and think of the characters in the original final fantasy 7 they all have like five novels worth of backstory now <laughs> that they never yeah. had originally. And they're like, Zack is a character that people care about now, as opposed to a dude who looks sort of like Cloud. Well, I remember, I didn't even, I don't even know if I understood the story growing up, but I yeah. remember like just vaguely thinking that Zack like uh, was like really cool. Um, yeah. I think like, there were some like older kids who, who played and maybe like, I think I knew an older kid who had like written like a uh, uh, fanfic about like Zach. Um, so I, I definitely had it in mind that like, oh, Zach is awesome. Okay. Well, he was it. He was also an ear grits, if I remember correctly. God bless oh, the ring. Okay. As we huh? That, 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 that there was a PS One fighting game made by Square called Ear Grits. Oh, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. And I think Zach was in that along with Sephiroth and Cloud and I think Tifa was in it. 
Yeah, I think Ross? I know what I'm you're sure. talking about, but I had never uh, heard the word pronounced out loud. Yeah, I don't. I'm probably not pronouncing it out loud correctly. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, guys. There, yeah. Thank you. thank you, John Charles, for helping me out there. I I was not properly blessing the ring. God, God forgive me. It also had like a a, a roguelike in it. I think. Oh, Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. No, the, no, your guys. Oh, your guys. Or like a Final dungeon crawler. Power defense game in it. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 my hope is that they bring back the tower defense in Final Fantasy VII remake. It's yeah. so weird that that game had tower defense in it that we had no language for tower defense back then. Yeah. The the wildest thing is they announced like another Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah. The bones. And it like covers the whole story and then all the side stories as well. And it's to me this this approach that um, Square Enix has, where they like remaking Final Fantasy VII like two different times at once, yeah. or like they release uh, one of the new Dragon Quests where you can like switch between two D and three D graphics. Yeah, and it's so weird for me like my approach to games is so like really like hyper focusing to like the way like i don't know thinking about like what the medium is the message and all that stuff not exclusively yeah. but like but like thinking about how these like pieces are interplaying with the story and it's like this completely different way of thinking that like for me like my mind like explodes to like think about just like oh yeah this is my game it, but it's like it could be three different games i don't know who cares it's the same story is it i don't know but <laughs> that's that's just what we're doing and i'm like i don't understand how what are you making <laughs> right, well, well it's well the phone game is for all the people who didn't play no wait no the phone game is i'm thinking of the uh, is the phone game the game that covers all of like the final fantasy canon yeah. Okay, so it's like if I didn't play Dirge of Cerberus, which I did not play yeah. Dirge of Cerberus, I had a friend who played it. And it did not seem it seemed like, like it seemed lame. But I feel like there's some a lot of Dirge of Cerberus apology, apologia probably going to be coming on soon. Um, but I like those weird era of RPGs and like PS2 games. I played Gungrave Overdose and thought it was a cool game. Oh, when it's really just like that. smashing the square button a whole lot. But, um, yes. Yeah. Melos doesn't like that mixed media business model. Yeah. It's so, it's so bizarre. Like the, idea, I mean, it ha I think it happened. It happens a lot. Like just like anime in general. Like I made it, we made an anime for a show so we could sell like a book or something. Now people can buy more of the light novel because we made an anime yeah. for it. Yeah, like I don't think that mixed media is bad, but if you're just doing it as like a marketing thing, then it's probably going to be like not good, uh, as Melissa is saying, for like a sort of inartistic landscape. Right. Unless there's like a thriving, like, I see. I being so far apart and like having 
being there being a huge language barrier, I have little concept of like the Dogen circle market. And Dogen is just, I feel also, I feel like that term is a little poisoned in the West in terms of like your SEO. It does not find what you're looking for a lot of the times. It finds mm-hmm. a very specific slice of it. Unless yeah. it has changed since I've been searching for it. But Dojinshi means a certain thing in the West, I think, at least in the English speaking Google. And it's pornography. But I wish I could understand that. And maybe there is like, but it like, I feel like if that kind of thing dominates like the whole culture and crowds out smaller games, it kind of creates that problem where everything has to be those things because there's no expectations of smaller, more interesting things. Yeah. I think a lot of the things that I really liked about RPGs, and I don't even know, like, it's not like this is unique to RPGs, but the things that stuck, stuck out to me is, like, they were games that I was likely to play, but that might have some sort of, uh, like, sort of scary elements or or maybe like kind of like things that would net you a higher rating, um, like spooky thematic elements. And, and I guess like I was pretty sheltered. Um, and so I, I would be unlikely to like play like, oh, a horror game or oh, a, like a very sexual or a very violent game. But RPGs were like, they're not really, that's not really like the points. They're not leading with those like elements, but at the same time, like being young, you know, some of the like imagery of the like test experiments and stuff and the like weird jittery low poly models in like Final Fantasy VII is like truly like scary and disturbing in like a very special kind of way. Right. Yeah. Yes. Or like just, just the very limited acting everything can do. Yeah. And yeah, it's really harsh MIDI trumpets and stuff. <laughs> just <laughs> crunchy sound effects. Uh, it's like, I, I really appreciate those sort of, uh, on deeply unsettling aspects to certain old RPGs. And I, you know, it's, I hear PS1 style horror is very in style at the moment. Yeah, well, it's interesting. that's a really interesting thing to, to Melis and I. Um, there are a lot of people doing really cool things. Um, like Modus Interactive does like extremely faithful looking uh, PlayStation kind of like short. A lot of them are horror. Yeah. Um, or just bizarre things because it does come naturally in terms of like, oh, what's sort of like, yeah, feels natural in this like really jittery low poly. It's like kind of spooky stuff. Yeah. Um, but it also is interesting because um, those communities have built up it seems like there's like multiple overlapping communities of people doing like PS1 horror. And it's interesting to us because we're like, uh, sort of doing that like low poly 3D stuff, yeah. but it's not really in horror. And it's like, oh, like 
what about other stuff? <laughs> I don't, right, I don't right. know. I wonder. I wonder how if it will translate and like people start. Let's start bringing back fixed cameras. Yeah. I remember I played Parasite Eve relatively recently in terms of my life and there being like being like, Wow, fixed cameras are there for a reason because you can make really you can compose really cool shots with fixed cameras. Yeah. That are very evocative. And but that is yeah. No, I've you know, curating this anthology, I've played a lot of PS one you know, style games where sometimes it feels there is definitely dedication to like a low poly. Sometimes I'm like, there's just a filter thrown on top of it. Both is fine. It's like whatever approach you want to take to it, but it's like interesting to see how people bump up against like what is low poly kind of like, you know, what is pixel art mm. and you adhere to the old resolutions, but we are approaching the end of our segment Marina. So mm. I have to ask a very important question. If you had one, burger themed on your games what kind of burger would it be burger uh themed after our games okay um it would probably be uh i don't know i feel like as of yet our only character that feels sort of like easily marketable is the like anodyne slime which isn't very good because <laughs> Dragon Quest has already cornered yeah. the market. Her slimes are very popular. Um, but that's just the like simple iconic thing. We we don't <laughs> anodyne slime marinara sauce bun. Mello <laughs> says. Uh, I don't usually try hard to make like cute mascot characters that will become marketable for our games. Uh, although that might change in our next one. I have an idea for our okay. current game that we're working on. So maybe maybe we'll maybe we'll have a better a better marketing mascot in the future. I I can look forward to at some point seeing your cute marketing mascot like on mascot Jap like Japanese mascot Twitter. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, totally. As as like a brand ambassador for some small town somewhere in Japan. Yeah. Now Melis is saying Glandilux seed tendril hash <laughs> okay well we're gonna get lost in the weeds for food so i'm gonna go on we're gonna go on our last break and we'll be back with the whole crowd um uh where's my transition um marina i'm glad to have you on i'll be glad to talk to you get in like say two minutes and 30 seconds but in the meantime we're gonna go to break goodbye the bluer the water the closer to Sandy rock bottom, CD motel.
Hello and welcome back to Apocalypse Radio. I'm back with everybody. We're all here. Hey, everybody. That was swearing. Hey. Half of the Crutchfields, the half I prefer in the post P.S. Elliot breakup. I do like Waxahachie, but swearing is cool. Um, hey, everyone. How y'all doing? Yeah, I got I to go, but thanks for listening. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Nice, to, nice uh, to hear you. Yes, glad to have yeah. you here. By listening to you discuss games and games development, that was really that was really pleasant. I was just drawing while listening to you, and it was very pleasant getting to oh, yeah. meet you. you in that way. Thank you. That's what I'm nice hoping. To meet you all. I was hoping this of would course. Just be to recreate the after-con hangouts that people would have now that no one can have them anymore. Someday oh, yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah. Bye, Ross. Have Goodbye, a good Rose. night. Farewell. Uh, All right, I'm gonna get rid of you. I'm gonna take you off of this little graphic now. <laughs> Thank you. I'm gonna uh, now. I can now. I can claim that spot. I don't want to be tiny down here. Um, did uh, did every single person mention Final Fantasy? Uh, I don't think it. I did, but I was thinking about it the whole time because I was like, man, I really loved Final Fantasy six and nine, and I still do. <laughs> Seem to come up a lot, is all. It's... Yeah, there I am. Um, yeah, it is a. It's a lot of people played it. It was a popular game franchise, and it also I use it for the graphics for my intro, which I'm sure it doesn't mm -hmm. hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but while we're talking about RPGs and RPG makers, not you know trademark rpg maker but just makers of <laughs> rpgs um something i definitely wanted oops not that something i definitely wanted to do at some there i am at some point was i gotta say this until it get, becomes real is i wanted to so i have a ps2 and a copy of rpg maker 2 for said platform and i want to make like an exquisite corpse sort of thing where like People spend a month with RPG Maker 2 and then they email the memory card and like the game to the next person. <laughs> and they just like keep building this collective RPG. And that just gets like passed around on memory cards and never gets released. And it's only for like the PS2. And I like it weird, ephemeral, like hard to like collect art. But I also need to find a lot of people who are willing to do it, which is a trickier thing. But when you have a small platform, 
<laughs> I love the idea of an exquisite corpse video game. I love that. I know why, but it just reminds you. It just feels like a like a real like punk rock net Euros enemy. Just like oh, there's this real indie game on an old PlayStation, but you got to know the right people to get your hands on it. Exactly. Like yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I've been wanting to make. I've been getting very into like analog video mixing. I want to make like one-off live recorded live mixed VHSs. Yes. And then just have them never digitally transferred ever. That's just. A beautiful idea to me for the same sort of reason. Yeah, like, leave them in a in a cardboard box on the side of the road for somebody to pick up and discover whatever's on, yeah. on the tape. No, I want so, people to yeah. like go to like game conventions and be like, "Did you bring your PS2 memory cards, dude? Because I want to get this game." And people illicitly copy <laughs> it over. <laughs> and like, which version do you have? Oh, I have like month six version. Oh, dude, I got month nine. And yeah, you could copy it and it would like have a branching sort of life. Like, like yeah, like oh, I have to, like I really like what they did in month seven, but then like by the month by the time month ten, the thing I really liked was gone because they they changed the routes and everything and rewritten some characters and just like it's my it's like my current dream project. That I don't know if it'll ever be real, but I really want to do it. You know what that what that makes you think of is uh you know I was playing some games with my friends last night and we were talking about uh the Wii Shop channel and I forgot that a thing you could do on that was that there was a channel for downloading DS demos which is like an at home version of going to the store with your DS and having to open your DS to actually download demos and it's like you couldn't turn your DS off unless you were gonna lose that demo so I like I remember taking my DS to Target and downloading like Meteos, the Meteos demo and like just not shutting off my DS for a week and a half. Cause I was like, I gotta get as much <laughs> out of this demo as I possibly can. And I, it's like, I know it's like super inaccessible in that way, but I would love so much to see a return of just, just, uh, just this weird game content. You can only get by physically going somewhere and sort of physically getting it in a copy that you only have, you know? Yeah. That is cool. As much as I think there should be, no, you go ahead. I was going to say, as much as I think art should be preserved forever, I also love the idea of ephemeral art that is inaccessible and hard to play and experience. Well, just things being like tied to physical locations and tied to physical mediums, you know, that's, I, you know, it's not a thing you would have th thought that you would have thought of to miss. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I, I, I miss so much about that kind of. It made it. I it guess. Made it I mean, that's a special experience. Yeah, that's. I mean, I've. That's why I've always been. I've. I've been doing comics like as web comics forever, but I've always been fixated on like the book as the thing for that reason. Basically, like I can't really wrap my head around it unless it's a. There's a physical yeah. thing you can hold. That's how. That's how I read web comics a lot nowadays. Besides, like the legacy ones that I've been reading forever, is I just wait for the Kickstarter and I buy the books. Bless you. <laughs> I, 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 I think I have. I think I even have a Harrowing of Hell because, like, I kickstarted something from Iron Circus, and I like I watched the show so much. I'm like, I should oh. see what his comics are, but I don't have a million years to read a thousand pages or something <laughs> online. Well, thank you. I hope you like it. I, I sure hope so. <laughs> I feel like I'm usually good at gauging my taste. That's the weirdest thing I've ever made. It's probably um, 
I don't know. <laughs> it's it's kind of it's the easiest to pitch because it's not just a like totally fantasy world, right? But um, it it seems like it would be easy to not like. I guess I don't know. I but I book about Jesus. <laughs> weird stuff, and like I'm always like increasingly like get like I need weirder comics. I like comics a lot. It's why I try to also publish comics in indie apocalypse but it's a harder like thing to get people to do because mm-hmm. it's not like i can throw up an itch jam page and say hey submit your comics to this but it's something i'll get to eventually i think i need to beef up the zine portion of indie apocalypse but i need to get this show like organized and like scheduled so i wasn't panicking every single week to get it guested up um, I know what you mean. Looking for weirder and weirder stuff. I feel like uh, I feel more and more boxed in by pop culture. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. And and like uh, it's tricky because it feels like when people say stuff is weird, I'm like, you don't. That's not a, you. Don't, you don't know what I mean when I say weird. They're they're talking about like the often they're talking about like the. Doctor Strange Marvel movie weird right. where it's like it's doing some cute weird tricks but it's basically the same thing. Right, right. It's 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 the the brain space where I'm saying Animal Collective is a pop band, you know. <laughs> I've been, oh yeah, no. The, no, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say I've been really into kind of um, uh, Christian movies. Those are my kind of boys Bible study. Okay that I really like, and I actually guessed it on time and talked about um, a Christian radio drama. It's really cute as my youth, that it was a, a huge production. It has like a thousand episodes. Um, but yeah, watching some live streams of very, often very bizarre Christian movies. <laughs> That's exciting. cool. Yeah, are, you, are, you, are you guys familiar with... Um... Everything is terrible. Yes. Yeah. yeah. God, I love. Uh, I I just ordered like a big like three disc DVD of just videos from them, and I was watching some with my girlfriend, and a good chunk of the first disc is literally just like a bunch of those like Christian movies, just like edited down to three minutes. And yeah, they are, they are, they are journeys. They are serious journeys into just like video oddness. Yes. Uh, oh. Trash night, like they do interstitials while they run the movies and they do a lot of very, everything is terrible style. Like here's hip hop dance instructional videos, but we edited them to make them weirder. I love them. I should get some of their movies. They did a, like a, what's it called? Doggy Woggies, Poochie Woochies. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a Jodorowsky's Holy Mountain composed entirely of clips of, dogs that's all i know about it i want to watch it (laughs) can can i can i pose a question to the room is is that allowed yes that's actually what this segment is for primarily all right cool (laughs) so you're mentioning uh jodorowsky and holy mountain just reminded me of how um when i was a teen i know a movie i really wanted to track down for forever was um El Topo, because I, I kept seeing it getting brought up in places, and like I know, like Studio Fifty One cites that as like wow. a major influence on No More Heroes. And I was obsessed with it. Well, 
I mean, I, I, I was, I'm lucky enough to have grown up like right when like, I was, I was getting really nostalgic when you guys were talking about um, yeah. when websites were still a thing. And I was just barely coming of age when like, yeah, websites were at their height. So there were so you could, you could go to sites and learn about things specifically and not just like the Reddit style where you go on like Wikipedia holes of just like one topic to another, but actually focused. And I don't know. I just remember I came across, I kept coming across the mention of El Topo and I read more about it and looked into it. And I always thought, Love to see this movie. DVDs out of print. I don't have a Laserdisc player. There's no like <laughs> CD underground theater I can go to to see like a midnight screening of this. I will never see this movie until I actually did see it in college in an underground cinema class. And I think since then, you can actually just go on Amazon and have the shit beamed into your home for like $3. I'm thinking about like being like a kid and being like, I looked like, I'm trying to move heaven and earth to find this movie and I couldn't find it. But I did eventually like, do you guys have any movies like that where like you heard about it and you said, I have to see this and you, yes. you went on a journey to track it down? El Topo fucking rules. I'm so glad you got to see it. <laughs> Me too. It's a weird one. Teen Andrews. Holy grail was seeing perfect blue. Oh man. Did you, did you see, did you see that one? It was in a, that was in a theaters. Like, I did see ago? it in a theater. Oh, so good. It's so yeah. good on a big screen. It was like more than it was like better than I could have ever imagined. Like there's like five or six like purely like greatest of all time iconic shots in that movie. It's exceptional. I um I don't know. I I I got very uh, in college in like 2005 or 6 uh, I learned about this uh, Korean animated movie called Achi and Shipak. A-A-C-H-I and S-S-I-P-A-K, I think. It's like this very visually frenetic uh, post-apocalyptic thing about a war- the, the, the conceit, the like basic conceit is that the world is powered by human shit. And um, I, I could not... It, this was... It, it would have been impossible to find it on the internet at that point or to find it any way at all, but I did eventually see it and uh, it's pretty wild, but yeah. And then there's been a couple things like that since I started ambiguity program. Like I, I spent over a hundred dollars finding um, this uh, movie that I'm playing actually tomorrow um, that I've been looking for for months and months and is, impossible to find anywhere apparently except on a dvd that's been out of print for 20 years wow and then and then i guess you're just putting it up on the internet so now yeah and if it's been out of print for that long i figure nobody cares yeah <laughs> it, it feels weird like to like to, to be that person i was thinking about that because at one point i was p- planning on like the interstitials being like old found amateur music like musicians like the Langley school project and the shags and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like to be the person who finds that, I wonder, it's like, I wish I could be that person sometimes. Uh, I'll be back one second. Like, I thought about, oh, like, just like, what if I went to the thrift stores and I found the next weird old 300 run print of like some record. Yeah. But it's like, I feel like I can tell that they're not good by looking at them. <laughs> like, I don't 
I have I've had like a sort of um, oh media white whale. Or are there are probably things that I've had, but I I'm pretty pretty much if I like can't find something, I'll just my brain moves on. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have been having a good time. Um, definitely trying to just see things. I I, I stopped using Netflix. Um, because I, I, I don't know, I didn't like how it made me feel. <laughs> so I've shifted, shifted mostly to movie and Tubi. I like stuff that's kind of like lower budget, um, yeah. whether in an artsy way, which is like movie, mm-hmm. they're, they're very curated and like yeah. fine films. And that's, then Tubi has a lot of like really like kind of trashy, like B-movie type stuff. So you know, what's, what's weird is that like, when it was new and before it was big, that's kind of what Netflix was like. Like before they had licenses from all the big studios, it was just nothing but really random indie films and and like kind of forgotten TV shows, but you'd always find something interesting. And yeah, like I mean, I'm I'm still guilty of using a lot of stream and stuff, but I I I abhor how much of it is set up where, you know, there is actually a lot of really good stuff on a service like say Netflix, but you literally can't find anything on it if you don't know it's there because it's literally designed to have you watch and not stop watching stuff, right. which means that anything that you would potentially watch for an hour, be satisfied, walk away from the TV to stop and think about life for a moment is just hidden away because they need you to find like the junk food show that has 300 episodes that you won't notice if it just constantly replays, which is why it has to ask, Hey, you're still alive, right? Every, every four <laughs> hours. Yeah. The, the way that you describe that, I wasn't like necessarily familiar with what early Netflix was like, but that sounds like the arc of like a lot of platforms where they rely on small creators or people doing interesting things to get things off the ground, but then like everyone just wants to scale up and turn into some kind of giant thing. And then all the people who sort of made their platform something in the first place get thrown out in the garbage. Yeah, like hearing all that stuff in the past year about like, cause like all the stuff came to like public knowledge about the whole two season thing at Netflix where it's like, no show gets greenlit for more than two seasons because if a show gets really popular after two seasons, um, the people involved, the cast and the crew can negotiate higher contracts. So they just usually stop after two seasons so they don't have to pay people more. But it's okay because they just move on to the next like Tiger King or Queen's Gambit right. people get obsessed with and binge and then move on to the next thing. Awful. It's... Yeah. It's, I feel like it's, you get like a, a movie and a. I didn't even know Tubi was a thing, but as like a Criterion Charter member with my little metal card and everything, <laughs> I feel like uh-huh. I've looked at those and like I need to try those. They sound like the stream equivalent of Criterion and Shout Factory. Yeah, that's what I've kind of gotten from it. I I need to I need to check that out. I need to see if there's like an app for that on on consoles or or TV or something so I can just browse that, see what's. Find something to actually watch that's like meaningful, you know? Yeah. I really enjoyed recently on um, Tubi a movie, Mosquita Imari. Um, that was really fun. It's like a coming of age uh, sort of queer teens. Is, is that 
is that Tubi in like the dumb internet way that I'm thinking, which T U B I? Yeah, T U B I. I is it? I think movie is also like in U B I, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, I I find it hilarious that that this my my main streaming services are movie and Tubi. <laughs> I've watched some very bad anime on there. Yeah, that's the extent of my experience. Um, I think I gotta go, y'all. That's fine. Evan, it was great to, great to have you at the show. Um, yeah. Nice to talk to you. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. I oh, will, before um, you leave, do you have anything to plug, Evan? Um, I have a uh, the second in my Island Book graphic novel series is coming out soon from First Second Books. It's like a, a middle grade mysterious fantasy adventure fantasy adventure series and tomorrow night i'm doing like 24 hours from now i'm uh doing a episode of the ambiguity program that is um that is pretty unusually densely curated that's about it right now well thank you that yes ambiguity program comes highly recommended from folks here at indie apocalypse radio Oh, thank I, you. I am. You should support. I, as I say, support your local scene, whatever that means to you. <laughs> whatever local means now. Yeah, support your local <laughs> scene. Support curated art because algorithms don't know what good art is. They do not. Yeah, that's a. That is a, a fucking tagline for the future. <laughs> we need more curation. Does it create power dynamics yeah. with the people at the top are the curators? Who knows? Maybe we'll deal with it later. <laughs> well, uh, have a good night, y'all. You too. Yeah, nice to meet you, Evan. Yeah, wonderful meeting. Too. See y'all. Bye. Nice to hear from you guys. Bye. Bye. Right, turn you Gosh, up. I, Let's get rid this, of it. I'm looking up all these movies that are getting name checked here, and it's again, it's just still it's mind-blowing to me like i i think about the years i spent looking for el topo or like i think about being a kid and looking for a well, not a kid but like a teen yeah. and looking for like a copy of psychonauts like up and down when that game came out and now it's like hmm. you literally can just get like anything that was ever hard to find can just be beamed into your home for a few bucks and that's yeah. that's the wildest thing to me in the world like it's just everything is just there and it's I don't want everything, but I like knowing that I never have to. Right. I never have to miss something because I tried really hard and just couldn't find it. You know. Yeah, that's why I was buying in my heyday of purchasing games off eBay. They were mostly PS One and like PS Two games because either my computer or the state of emulation just was not there. So it's like if I want to play the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure fighting game, I have to play. I have to, have to get this PS One disc. And I guess technically, I guess you could emulate it, but it's that was something went up and down on digital markets as well, where you still can't get that. Yeah, JoJo's had a rough go at it in that regard. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also an exceptional game, and it had the thing from the memes with the steamroller. That's where that came from. Oh yeah, it's from that game. That's I mean, because I guess, man, JoJo is also a very different thing back then. 
it was like the thing that had like half of part three was in bookstores and that was it. And they were coming out like once every two years per volume or something like that. Mm -hmm. Now it's like everything is a Jojo reference or something. I mean, I, I really don't want to spend all, 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 all my time here just reminiscing, but I, I'm also happy that stuff like manga and anime is much more accessible, but mostly to that um, the same people who love that kind of stuff are the people who are uh, handling its distribution and yes. stuff. Because like, I, I remember, because like, um, at T have you ever been to the Teacher's Educator Day at TCAF? No, no, I'm, uh, I'm very busy. <laughs> If you ever have the time and energy, I highly recommend it. The day before TCAF starts, they have a day that's for teachers and educators. And they, that's usually when they actually have their keynote speaker, oddly enough. But yeah. they have a keynote speech and then they just have a bunch of um, talks and workshops and other things like that that are directed at teachers and librarians. And um, there's actually a lot of really relevant stuff in there that I kind of wish more people would go to. I've, I've, some of my favorite things I've gone to at TCAF have been at that. Yeah. And there actually was a panel once for librarians talking about um, here's how you here's how you prepare your library for manga. And it was like it was a young librarian, and she was talking to other librarians and teachers, and she was like, "Look, manga is really big right now. Kids like manga. People like to act like manga is not the biggest comics, the biggest comics on the market right now. But hand over foot, according to New York Times, they are. You need to be ready for manga if you're gonna start if you're gonna get a manga series for your library." You have to commit to getting issue one, get them in order, and you don't stop and you don't jump into a series and have stock only like books four, six, and eight. Right. You gotta have like one through 12 and you gotta commit to that because people will want to read them. And if you don't stock them right, people won't be reading them. And it was just really refreshing to hear that like, there's a young librarian out there that gets it and wants to make sure that other young librarians get that too. Cause yeah, I, I think about how many just like satellite, you know, like, manga issues number three i would find yeah. the library and i just never read the rest of it because that's all the library had my my i have copy i have i have three library copies all different printings of like the oh what's his name the guy who the, the gundam guy like the gundam illustrator i forget his name he did a joan yeah. of arc book and i have like weird library copies of that in three different things and yes manga is in a much my secret pet my secret passion is in video games is comics and I'm like real big on like the secret reason I'm learning Japanese is so I can read indie manga because there's, I'm searching for the good shit that I know exists and I want it bad. Like it's, it's hard to describe. Like there's some, like, I feel like it's hard to get like, I can I can pick up like any book from like Fantagraphics or something, and get a vibe that I will never get off like any you know English published manga you know. But I feel like it must exist. It's it's a country with like a huge comics culture, and history. Mm -hmm. But it's just like not the marketable stuff or something. I'm not sure. My avatar in the last. Uh, I think I better get heading out too but thank okay. you so much for let's having just, me let's, we're, we'll, let's bring this show to a close then yeah, it feels like a, a good natural stopping yeah, point before I start ranting about manga <laughs> my quest for the one true good queer manga and I'll find it one of these days no school kids allowed <laughs> my rule 
<laughs> rule number two, homosexuality needs to exist. I'm sure there are more rules, but <laughs> I'm very particular about where I find it and get it. Anyway, any plugs? John Charles already got the plug. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm always doing something, but the biggest thing I would point you to right now, of course, is um, Nintendo Force. Um, I'm really, really proud of the comics I've been putting out in there. Um, they've been really good so far. I'm really happy with them. They give me a lot of freedom to play around and do stuff. Uh, they usually like to keep it PG. I asked them if I could do a PG, a PG rated No More Heroes comic, and they let me. So these guys are awesome. Um, it's about $5 an issue for physical or digital. Um, get what you can afford. That's, that's all I ask. Um, check it out. There's some really good, it's really good writing, really good previews, editorials, all that stuff. If you miss old school gaming magazines, this is a good way to go. They have beautiful posters, beautiful covers, all that stuff, whatever. Check that out. My comments are in there. That's great. Uh, you can always follow me at Sonic9JCT, uh, I'll tweet about anything I got going on there or my podcast, Scary Scary Story. Uh, scary Story to Tell in the Dark. Scary Podcast to Tell in the Dark. That's the name of the show. The name of the show is Scary Podcast to Tell in the Dark. <laughs> we haven't put out an episode in a little bit just because, one, the pandemic makes a lot of things hard. And two, my co-host is currently moving to Canada. So as she's doing that, um, you know, we're just kind of getting things settled. But if you are looking for, you know, a fun, casual movie podcast that instead of being like three or four drunk white guys sitting around laughing about nostalgic movies, you get a cool podcast with, uh, with, uh, with, a, with a black dude and a trans artist talking about their perspectives on horror and what they bring to the table. Check it out. Wait, we not have a fun. White guy? We have fun. <laughs> not a one. <laughs> we've had a couple guests and I don't think we've had any white guy guests yet. So we're still we got a good batting average on that. So what a, po- uh, what a, what a, what a podcast this is. What kind of, if you're looking for a different flavor in your podcast, consider checking us out. Yeah, uh, yeah. We should have an episode about uh, the classic Godzilla going up real soon. We had a great discussion about that. Oh, uh, okay. yes, oh, we count, yes, we counted that as horror. Did, actually, I also have my aforementioned horror podcast. We also watched the original Godzilla. We oh watched God. both of them back to back. English like, and that, Japanese. That old, that old Godzilla. We, didn't, we just watched the Japanese one, but it's, it's oh unbelievably good. It is eerie how pertinent it is to modern times I, i'm not thinking a lot about this but like I have to, just this just the scene where like they're at parliament and um it's like the it's like all those women and they're like um yeah we need to tell people that uh godzilla's here and parliament's just kind of like if we do that they'll freak out so let's not and i'm just kind of like ooh, this is a little too close to home this is this is a thing i have a lot to say about the english godzilla but we will get plugs and i'll mention to you that off the air Real quick, but English Godzilla is something. Um, oh, yeah. Rena, what have you got to plug? Um, let's see. So, Anodyne Two, our game with Mellis, uh, came out on consoles recently, so that's exciting. And all of our sort of three big mainline games that we've made together are on consoles now, as well as PC and Mac. Um, so that's fun. I also have a blog at marinakitaka.com. And uh, that's been exciting. I I recently made a blogging software that the blog uses, and that's free for anyone to use. It's called Zonelitz, zonelitz.net. Okay. Um, Because I also miss websites, and I want people to make them. I hope they make a comeback. I need websites and blogs to make a comeback. Yeah, I I also have a website. 
you might be able to visit IndiePocalypse.com, your home for all things IndiePocalypse. There are contributor pages on there, because I think that's neat to have contributor profiles. And there's a map to show where all the contributors come from. They're all over the world, all content, all six continents, not counting Antarctica. Nice. Uh, I will say, go there. My plug is buy Indiepocalypse. It's a good magazine. It has good games within it. I similarly try to make a no dudes policy, which is no dudes to imply no, like less, you know, cishet white dudes. And I try to cut down on those numbers where I can. I certainly do not request any, except for some cases, you know, you know whatever, you know. You, things are complicated. You need to give people more opportunities. And why you don't need to give same opportunities to the same dudes over and over again. They got enough, you know? I, 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 I appreciate that. I really, really do. It's a really, like, thing that's, like, not very hard to do. Like, you just... They, there's, like, a, a, there's like literally a website called, like, blackgamedevs.com. Just go to it. Jesus, people. It's not hard. Uh, buy the Apocalypse. It, the money goes to developers, and some of it goes to me because I'm running a deficit on this scene month after month. Uh, you can subscribe to the Patreon, indiepocalypse.com slash Patreon. You can get physical copies of the zine if you do that. Um, I haven't set up like a store version to do it otherwise, but the only way to get them is there. They're neat. They're like print. They're not super high quality, but they're cool. I like them a lot. Um, Indiepocalypse.com slash submit to submit your own games. I Anything that's mildly adjacent to a game you think, submit it. There's something... There may be, there's like someone something like a cool visualizer thing that's very cool and I liked it a lot. Um check out this show again at indiepocalypse.com slash radio. If you've got if you're sitting on that Amazon Prime thing, you might as well just sling it here. I will not spend that three dollars on Amazon. I'll spend <laughs> it on indie games. Uh I don't remember what else I have. I think that's it. I think those are all my plugs. IndiePocalypse.com, buy the zine. People make money. I think it good. I pay people fair wages. I think people should get paid for their work. I think everyone should get paid for their work, artists included. Um, oh, that's it. Also Goodbye. greatly appreciated. <laughs> yeah, I, I do what I can. I think you just need to like brute force the culture until people start doing it. I'm just saying, no, this this zine is never going below $10, no matter what. That's my limit. If inflation goes up, the zine cost will go up. I have a degree. I understand these things. It's in my closet, it's in my closet somewhere. My, my bachelor's degree in economics. I know it's all made up. <laughs> Economics is a philosophy, everyone. Goodbye. It's not about money. <laughs> oh, wait. I do need to transition to it. I forgot the outro. Fuck. I screwed up. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Okay. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>